Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's episode number 54 of the Audible Farm Podcast, and it's brought to you by Couchtown Coffee. Couchtown Coffee is roasted right here in Iowa. You can go to their website at www.couchtowncoffee.com and click on the Our Coffee section. Find a coffee you like, and they will ship it to your house. They'll even roast it the exact way you ask them to. So if you want a little bit lighter roast, you can get a little lighter roast. I like dark roast. That's my favorite. You know what else is cool about Couchtown Coffee? They're going to offer you 20% off if you make an order and enter the code word CAVE. CAVE. That's the code word this week. So when you make an order, make sure you mention CAVE from the Audible Farm podcast and you will save 20%. Last week, we actually uh, teamed up to put a sticker in every box that was ordered, uh, and it went over really well. I got a lot of people that sent me messages and said, hey, you know, thanks for the sticker. This is really cool. I didn't even expect this, and yada, yada, yada. So that's what we're going to do again this week, and uh, we're going to do it for, I guess, until I run out of run out of stickers that I sent, sent Andrew at Couchtown Coffee. So Andrew's going to be roasting coffee all week long, popping Audible Farm stickers in there as long as you use the code word CAVE. That way he knows that Audible Farm sent you to the order site. So make your orders at www.couchtowncoffee.com. Check them out on Facebook. And the code word this week is CAVE. Why is it CAVE? Because I have Nick Rosendahl here uh, from the Cave Band days, and, and we talk about Cave Band and beyond. I mean, uh, if you couldn't tell from the onset of this podcast, it's two hours plus. So we go through quite a few different topics. He sent me some awesome music that uh, we listened to after the podcast. We get into so much stuff in this podcast. The craziest part about all this is I... I, it's one of those one of those podcasts. I just had to be like, all right, we got to end this thing, otherwise it's never going to end. And then uh, after we ended it, we sat down and talked for another couple hours because that's how it goes. So uh, I got to listen to some of his tunes. We got to talk about some of the things that we had mentioned in the podcast. We uh, checked them out online afterwards, and uh, you guys are going to love this one. Nick is full of uh, insight, opinions. He's he's not short on words, and that's what I like to have on the podcast is someone that makes my job easy. And something else that was fun about this, uh, as we're going through this, he would ask me questions. So it's almost like he was interviewing me while I was interviewing him. I don't think I've ever had anybody do that. So shout out to you, Nick. I really appreciate that. Thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. I hope you all like it. It's episode number 54 with Nick Rosendahl. It's the Audible Farm Podcast with your host, Peter Stockdale. Oh man, so today I'm sitting down with Nick Rosendahl. Um, you threw some Thor parties that had music at them, uh, back in the day, correct? Correct, sir. Yeah. I actually have, I've been to a couple of those. So, so, no believe, so believe it or not, I want to say I was at like the second Thor fest or maybe the third one. Really? So I was, I was at a couple of them. Were you like sitting on the street or we always tried to hoop in the yard so that everybody kind of stay in yeah. that one little area. Yeah. I just kind of stuck in the corner as far away as I could. Cause I'm not a socialite very much, but, <laughs> but yeah, it was cool. I remember, uh, distinctly, I distinctly remember, uh, let's see here. Ozzy 
Osborne, um, not Bark at the Moon. Maybe there was another one somebody played. Uh, Shot in the Dark. No, yeah, it's Shot yeah. in the Dark. Yep, that was Planet Rock. We there, did that one. There you go. I was gonna say I remember hearing that, and I was just like, God dang, this is cool. <laughs> so, so yeah, I've I've the, seen the way the sound rolled off the deck, and then just right down the yard, and and, and the bar- smell of the barbecue, and and the beer and the laughter and all that. Oh yeah, yeah, it was a good time, man. That was a really good time. Never uh, ever asked anybody from the town. We just kind of word of mouth and put out some posters and yeah i mean hundreds of people started showing yeah, up yeah <laughs> it started getting pretty big there like uh i would say like the fourth or fifth year i went out there and i was there for like 20 minutes i was like i'm out of here I, <laughs> I can't be around all these people i just can't what i it's so weird though you play in a band i i know uh it's 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 awkward and i don't know how to say it I, i'm not i'm not bad with dealing with people but it's like for some reason just large groups of people just get to me for some reason our old sound guy uh bob brockman from the cave band he's you know he's like when you guys go on break, go somewhere else. Go elsewhere. And we're uh-huh. like, why, Bob? I mean, he says it, it creates mystique. Yeah. And they'll just go, where'd they all go? Yeah. Where, what's going on? Where'd they all go? Then we all come back in, get on stage, and just rock the house, you know? Yeah, it makes sense. And everybody's like, where'd they go? They just disappeared. Yep. But we had a great big truck and, you know. Yeah. Dude, and... <laughs> that's like the one thing i think about though like as far as being in a band like how to carry yourself in a quote-unquote professional manner i mean there's no right or wrong way to do it like you said you could you could hop right off the front of the stage and just start talking to people uh when you take a break and it'd probably be just as productive maybe i i don't like that yeah i'm i'm, I'm, I'm the i'm that guy that just walks straight out the door and yeah i mean yeah. I mean, I don't blame you because to be honest if if i had it my way i'd do the same the same thing honestly. well you get i mean even even nowadays, everybody's like, "Oh man, you're the best guitarist I ever seen." No, no, I'm not. Yeah, I, you it, know, it's tough to take those compliments, especially like when you're younger. You're just like, you know, I'm pretty friggin' good. But then when you grow up, you're just like, "Dude, I am not crap yeah. compared to like." There's a guy in the next band that's better than me. There was a guy here last night that's better than me. I went to a show last week and uh, watched like four dudes that were better than you know. And it's just it. You could just keep stacking it in there, like. I appreciate the compliments I get everywhere and stuff, but it's it's just weird to get the compliments. Did you go to that show with uh, Steve Vai and and uh, like the guitar? Yes, you went uh, down to Generation that? X. Yeah, yeah, yep, yeah. Uh, uh, it was Nuno Betancourt, to- yep, Tosin yep, yep. Abasi, and Zach Wild, and yeah, yeah, um, Malmsteen. I might be missing Ingve. Yeah, yeah, dude, Malmsteen had like eight cabinets but like 26 amplifiers and so it's just like there's no way <laughs> there's no, there's more amplifiers than each speaker you brought with so it doesn't doesn't line up but for some reason all the lights on all of them are on <laughs> was there any chicks at that show uh yeah i mean <laughs> like five or six yeah, there was a few you yeah. know i uh it's it's ironic though i bought tickets early on pre-sale and i sat like directly behind like a whole bunch of guitar guys i knew from des moines and then i sat next to like some artists i knew from des moines and then like down the line away there was more guitarists i knew from the des moines it's like oh this is just packed full of guitarists of course it is <laughs> that was a fun show though i i like going to stuff like that because it's just absolutely humbling to see how good these guys are at their yeah. instruments. well i mean I've, I've always since i know that i'm not the best drummer because i'm not the best drummer um but i've always tried to focus on having the most kick-ass band you yeah. know like could yeah. like when cave band it was just a self-contained unit Mm-hmm. And we just, uh, we just, it, we didn't, we had confidence like a bull, you know. Uh-huh. There could be a multi-band thing. We did used to do these shows up in Marathon, 
uh, to raise money for schools, band programs in schools. And yep. there'd be like six, seven bands. And, and it's like, we just, we just not even listen to the other bands. And when it was our turn to play, we'd go, all right, you guys just kind of stand over there yeah. and just <laughs> clean up after we're done Yep, and just own it. You know, and then everybody'd run to the front and it's like, yeah, we're here now. Yeah. yeah. But it's, it's not like an ego thing. It's more like, cause everybody just kind of felt it. It was a, it was a vibe, you know, it just, Cause when you when you get bands playing like like up at the motorcycle rally, for instance, uh, it used to be every band played "Born to Be Wild." Yeah, yeah. That was the go to. Now it's like cumbersome and and uh-huh. uh, silver chair song. Um, yeah, there is no bathroom and there is no yeah, sink. Yeah, yeah uh, it's not my preferred genre of music. Yeah, and I mean these every band in the beer barn will play that song. Uh huh. And I'm like, because I work back, I've worked backstage up there for. 25 years you uh-huh. know and you hear every band that comes through there yeah, every band yeah, yep. and you're standing on the main stage and the beer barn's like right down there and you're going again <laughs> didn't you hear the last band they just did this i mean <laughs> that's something that with cave band we always tried to do not the hit song yeah we did like the second or third song on the album and not not the the radio popular one yeah the one that uh, came out after the radio popular one lost all of its f- flair. Well, it wouldn't even, some of them, like, um, we do a great version of The Wall. We did uh, Dreams I'll Never See by Molly Hatchet. And, oh, nice, nice. Oh, yeah, because we had three guitar players, and it just... That's freaking that's freaking awesome, dude. Exactly. Yeah, and I mean, I get what you're saying. You could come out and play Flirting with Disaster and, and we tear did that the place too. up. But yeah, well, we, like, we, we did a like a double shot third set, and it, it just make the set go really fast because we did like a um, Closer to Home. Or we do a Some Kind of Wonderful. And then we go straight into Closer to Home, which is like an 11-minute song. Uh-huh. I'm your captain, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, just keep stretching it. And we'd do that, and then we'd go into like sergeant pepper okay and then we do like the joe cocker version of get by with a little help from my friends so uh-huh. it'd be like billy shears then it'd be like just dramatic and it'd take it down to nothing and then it, it's awesome then did a couple of blue oyster cults um and then a couple molly hatchets and end with the wall and that was the third set yeah <laughs> jesus yeah that's uh that's a powerful set. It's not even that many songs really. You but there I mean we like the long songs with a lot of changes that way you don't have to learn as many songs. <laughs> it, makes, it makes sense. It, it, but it totally makes sense though, you know? Like uh in the grand scheme of things, like uh I tell this to people sometimes like I can Three Finger Betty has played 2-hour shows, but when you're playing 3-minute punk songs, uh, yeah. It's like 40 songs, you know? Yeah. Like yep. so. Yep, yep. So you end up with this thing where it's like, do I want to learn 40 songs or should I just learn 20 longer songs, <laughs> you know? Um but like okay, so you say you're drummer, uh that's what everybody I guess has the introduction to you as is a drummer, but you came down uh we're in my little mini studio I've got and you were playing the guitar. So how did you get started on the guitar? Was it just uh, uh you just had one growing up or did you just like, well, I'm bored? I, I did I didn't have a guitar. Um I went to the Fort Dodge Music Center when it was on Main Street and uh I just heard Purple Haze. Uh-huh. And I was like, Wow, this is and this is like nineteen eighty three mm-hmm. you know i'm 13 years old i'd never heard Jimi hendrix really before and i had an album from school and that's back when you could check out a record album from the oh, library sweet yeah 
and Jimi <laughs> Hendrix smash hits, and I heard Red House and all this stuff, and I'm like, wow, I need a guitar because awesome. maybe I'm not a drummer, mm-hmm. you know. So I I got a guitar, and I'm like, this is hard. <laughs> this is hard. It's not. I mean, you can't just whip out Purple Haze and just. That's true. Yeah, but I learned the the intro riff and all that stuff, and I'm like. I'm not getting the full satisfaction out of this, so I, I had my mom got a tax refund and uh, bought me a drum set from Mark Bagan, the doctor's son in Humboldt back at the time, and he was in my grade, and uh, it was it was pretty awesome because I saw him at a class reunion like 20 years later, 25 years later, and and he's he's like, hey man, you still got that old piece of crap drum set, and I said. Yeah, I played all the time. You still got that three hundred bucks? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. And all his friends is just kind of. Uh, uh. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. So you actually like ended up trying to do the guitar first. Yeah, and then after, after the, like I said earlier, the the cave band when we started like tapering off on shows, then we, our singer and I, we do a, a show called the Shag and Ho Variety Show. Okay, I'm Shag and he was the Ho. <laughs> and, yeah, and trust me, the, the hoe was the hoe. The hoe, okay. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. And at Christmas time, he'd be Shanty Claus, the hair ho, ho, ho. <laughs> yeah, it was just, it's, it's comical. We just, whoever was there to play like lead guitars or whatever, you know, we, whoever we could get, because otherwise it'd just be me playing chords mm-hmm. and we'd just kind of whistle a solo or, or kind of hum it along, you know, or like. Yeah, I get to yeah, like yeah. Sc- scat it out there if yeah. you have to. And, you know? But it just, it was such a draw because you're right there one-on-one. There's no effects. There's no, it's just raw. It's like everybody's kicking their pedals and making this, making sounds and all this. It's just a guitar, a chord, an amp. Yep. Just like Angus Young. Yeah, dude. <laughs> I And I tell you what, I've uh, fallen victim to the doing the pedal dances quite a bit but when it all comes down to brass tacks and i play live uh like either with three finger Betty or unity i just pretty much set it and forget it i i have a giant pedal board i use for the most part one pedal almost the entire time and that's it it's like why would you drag around like 12 pedals just to play one but oh yeah yeah it's it's kind of that artist needs to have all uh, the full palette with him in order to in case he wants to make a soundscape you know <laughs> there's this uh band that came up to the rally and i'd never heard of this guy before is uh, duke tomato okay and uh everybody in his band was black and he was an old he's an old guy mm-hmm and just beard and white hair and all this stuff. He's out of Indianapolis, I believe. And uh, his his keyboard player had been with him for 42 years. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah. They all showed up in like a full-size van. Okay. And all their equipment, everything was all in this van. Oh, jeez. And they, I mean, he had like a like this little amp you got right here. What yep. Is, yeah. That's... And that, that was like his amp. And he his guitar, it had a name. I don't know. He... Because he didn't have a guitar stand or nothing, he just set it on the stage and leaned it up against the amp, and he had a like a eight foot cord, ten foot cord, and that was it. He just plugged it in, and and it was one of the most entertaining shows because the everybody in the band was exceptional, yeah, musicians, exceptional. It's it's like they made it look so. The drummer's like got his phone and he's playing the drums and he's doing panning through the crowd, you know, and he's playing licks and all this stuff on the drums. I'm going, how's he holding the phone and playing the drums and all yeah, this stuff yeah. and. And the bass player's not even looking. He's all over the place. And I'm uh-huh. like, holy crap. <laughs> and they played for like 15, 20 minutes, just all blues stuff. And then then he says, I'm Duke Tomato. And then they started playing more songs. That's, that's, <laughs> that was it. That was it. He didn't, 
there was no talking in between. It was just cool. That, I mean, that's nobody's there to hear you talk. You I know, I love that. Um, yeah, I've seen Megadeth uh, probably at least. I mean, we're getting close to somewhere between five or ten. I've seen him probably like seven or eight times. And uh, when I saw Dave Mustaine, obviously the the main guy in, in Megadeth, he does all the singing and whatnots. But he, uh, when I saw the 20th anniversary tour of Rust in Peace, I also saw the 20th anniversary tour of Countdown to Extinction. He played the entire album from start to finish. And then when he was done, he's like, hey, we're Megadeth. And it was just like, oh, geez, you just played like 50 minutes of songs. <laughs> 60, they didn't say one word. Not one word. And that was, he did that both times. And he's, and you know, when this, when this whole thing's over, he's like, Hey, you know, like, I just want to say thanks for coming out. And if, wow. if you're talking, you're not playing. And that's why I don't talk. And it's like, that makes a lot of sense. Cause like, I mean, you talked for filler noise. If you don't have enough don't, know, content, we so. went and watched me and the wife went and watched uh, Pearl jam out at Wrigley field. Cool. And, um, Eddie Vedder's a big Chicago Cubs fan. It's mm-hmm. the year they won the, the World Series? World, yeah, yeah, I was going to say Super Bowl. Same thing. Yeah. <laughs> Same thing to me. That's where they shoot the ball in the basket. You yeah. Know, yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Kick the ball right through the basket and for a home run. In between, the, I mean, they'd play. I like the show. Uh, I'm not a real big Pearl Jam fan, mm-hmm. but the the stage was bare bones. It didn't. They didn't have all the explosions and the lights and all the smoke and mirrors, you know, and all that crap. It was just the band. Mm-hmm. But... Eddie Vedder in between every song would have like a five minute monologue, which everybody in the crowd loved to hear him sing or love to hear him talk because he's just like working off the, and he's holding this bottle of wine and yeah. you can tell he's starting to get a little drunk. And, I remember back in the seventies and then and he's pointing up here and, and the crowd just eating it up and I'm sitting there going, play, just, just play. play. Dude. Just play. That's actually some of their appeal is they have like super long sets and Eddie Vedder drinks like two bottles of wine and smokes a whole pack of cigarettes while they're, <laughs> while, and I, I like, I hear that's what he does. Like he has two bottles of wine and a pack of cigarettes at every show he plays. He just he's holding that bottle the whole damn time. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> God. I but guess. after the concert was done, you know, Wrigley Field is packed, you uh-huh. know, and everybody pours out onto the street, and the, there's like bars all over the duh. There's yep. bars at Chicago, yeah, <laughs> and uh, every every bar there's a band, and they're all playing Pearl Jam songs. <laughs> trying to drag so you we're, in yeah there. we're just walking by and we're like jesus man, come on man you know the last bar at the very end the guy was the, the band was playing metallica i'm like let's go in here let's go in that bar. Yeah, let's go in this yeah, bar yeah we just heard pearl jam for a couple hours so yeah no yeah. kidding it's like i just heard that song better by the you know the people that play it normally <laughs> so i don't know if i want to hear a cover band play it right not yeah. at this moment at least yeah but i mean it was a it, um oh god it was it was an incredible show I mean, I'm like I said, I became a Pearl Jam fan after watching the concert because they're great in concert. It's just because they're, they're just like Kiss. They got to have on all their makeup and the the got to have the yeah, pyro. Got to have guys the lights. Like, got to breathe the blood. It's like watching the Foo Fighters. I've seen them guys multiple times, and they are an awesome, awesome band. They just like wake up in the morning, put on a pair of jeans and a t-shirt, and okay, let's go to stage. Yep. Hitting the stage. Yep. Yep. I loved it. Yeah, I heard that was like also one of the best parts about going to see Pearl Jam was like he doesn't just play Pearl Jam songs. He'll throw in songs like here's a Prince song, here's a Beatles song, here's I mean he'll just go all the way up and down the line and just yeah. start picking music out. Just be like I'm gonna play this song tonight because why not? I used to tease the tease the wife out. Yeah, Pearl Jam's a pretty good cover band because they <laughs> they did a when the Who got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame they did Eddie Vedder saying uh, Rain down on me. Oh yeah, yeah, yep. And I was like, 
yeah, he sings this one really good. Mm-hmm. You know, this should be they're a good cover band. <laughs> Shut up. so you're no stranger to playing covers though Um, no i mean you've you've been in cover bands uh, as well as writing original stuff which you've sent me and i will have to say at the time of this recording i haven't listened to so (laughs) so i cannot comment on how awesome it is yet but uh you've you've played in cover bands uh you sent me a, a small listing of what you got here and by small i mean it's 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 pretty extensive where did you start out playing uh music in bands um actually started out with uh an original band well had a cover band way back in the mid 80s and whatnot but we just did like i don't know we were doing like johnny be good and taking care of business that was like the first initial tunes that you learn yep. way back then you know and and we learned songs off like the eight track okay you know i was talking to a bass player of, of the hooligans one time i'm like how do you learn tunes oh I'm guitar hero i'm like what <laughs> what and then now they got YouTube and all this stuff, and you yeah. can. But before you had to like wait for the tape to get around and go click click, yep. and then you'd start learning it again, you know. And uh, we then I was in like an original band. We wrote all original stuff because the guitar player he couldn't play covers. I mean, he he just like so unique. Okay. Yep. And he didn't because he'd play he he played Sweet Emotion for me one time, and he's like he's playing this riff, and I'm like. That's pretty cool. He goes, you don't recognize it? And I'm like, no. It's sweet emotion. I'm like, where? You know, but he could play original stuff, and his timing was a little goofy, so I just kind of organized the drums to his guitar and stuff. And then um, we were out playing somewhere, and uh, some guys from the ski band approached me and asked me if I wanted to be in their band. Uh Because their drummer, John Paso was a farmer, or is a farmer, and... And I was like, I didn't know the guy, I didn't know them, but I just know that they played like the motorcycle rallies and they played all the big shows around here. And I was like, yep. I want to be in that band. Yeah, no kidding. And I, all I do is just carry my drums there. I didn't have to carry speakers, nothing, and blah, blah, blah. They just, I put my drums up, they put the mics on it, and I just played. And I was like, this is, this is a gig. Yeah. This is a gig. And we're playing for people instead of like for free for fifty bucks or you yeah, know at a yep, party or and, something. Yeah, in a bar that's half empty. Yeah, that and, didn't do promotion. And we're playing in Omaha and Iowa, Iowa City oh, and, cool. and Des Moines and stuff like that. And I'm like, yeah. oh, we're on the road and we're traveling and stuff, you uh-huh. know. And and Big Phil, uh, you know Phil, Phil Smith. No, um, he's worked down at Rima. He's the guitar player of the ski band. And Dean Morris, he's passed away and. Uh, Gene Walker, bass player. Yeah, I know Gene. I did a podcast with Gene. Yeah. Good guy. He's awesome. Yeah, he's a real good guy. Steady as a rock. Uh, I mean, I'd start, because I mean, I was like 18 or 19. Oh, wow. I was drummer number 13 for them, I think. Oh, good God. Yeah. (laughs) And But John Passel was always number one. So he, in the fall during harvest and spring, you know, he's farming. But the summertime, wintertime, they'd hire him back. And I'm like, hey. Yeah. <laughs> well, John, John's coming back, and we're, you know, you'll have to wait. And I'm like, okay, well, okay. That that worked for like two years, and then I, I was getting pissed off, you know, because I'm like. Yeah, it's tough to start and stop and start and stop yeah, and start and stop, it, and especially to stay tight with the same group of people if you're swipping out, yeah. swapping out the and rhythm section. And I remember section. some of the, because they're like, well, what, what songs can you sing, Nick? And I was like, well, um I can sing Love Me Two Times by The Doors. Yeah. Because they'd never done a Doors tune before. And I said, I could sing uh, If You Want to Get to Heaven. And Dean Morris is like, that'll never go over in a bar. <laughs> and I said, what? If you want to get to heaven? I mean, come on. 
and that was and when I decided one time I was just like I'm I'm sick of getting kicked out of this band and I took Gene aside at the music center in Fort Dodge I was like dude I'm going to quit the band and form my own band and just we're going to play what we want and kick everybody's ass mm-hmm. all the way around yep and he's like then Dean Dean Morris he got pissed because he's like well you you can't quit we need you and we need you and and I'm like Danny Ross plays drums. I don't know if he, he don't even play drums anymore. And after Danny Ross, Lance Larson okay, yep. took over. And uh, so that's when Cave Band got formed. And the first song we learned, If You Want to Get to Heaven. And if you've <laughs> nice. ever played If You Want to Get to Heaven, because we had a harmonica player, our, our singer was a harmonica player. And if you ever had a, a band do that song in a bar, everybody okay. jumps up and down and the whole bar is jumping like pogo sticks and then the harmonica starts in and mm-hmm. get to heaven and and the whole bar is just jumping <laughs> jumping jumping and it's like then the song's over and everybody it's just natural for everybody to go yeah <laughs> you know that's cool yeah so it's kind of nice that like uh you know you it's not like uh out of the bad situation you found yourself in, you found a way to make it a positive situation and, and even took like a song that you wanted to do and just was like, all right, then we're, I I am going to do this and we're going to do it over here. Yeah. Cause I mean, it just, it, I don't like it when people say you can't do that. Yeah. You you can't do that. And why, Yeah. why, why can't we, you know, that's why we, we, why don't you guys play the populars? Cause uh, for years, cave band never had a, a poster with a picture on it. I'd uh-huh. always just like draw a picture or uh, we'd play over at Nuts Landing and it'd be Halloween. So I'd draw like a cemetery and a couple gravestones and cave band was in gravestones or something, you know, or, uh-huh. and this Brian Beidelman, he was a promoter in Fort Dodge for Thunderbolt Productions. He's like, why don't you guys have a picture on your poster? And I said, well, we're, we're not photogenic really, <laughs> you know, we're, and why don't you guys play any modern songs? Because we're we don't want to. We uh-huh. just, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we just don't want. We don't want to. It, it never ever became like everybody's doing Alice in Chains when they're brand new, you yep. know. And yeah, and all this. And we didn't want to do that. We just wanted to like play what we wanted to play. And uh-huh. and uh, Pee Wee down there in Fort Dodge, he made the comment one time. He's like, you know, you guys pack the house, but nobody's up dancing. You know, but they don't leave. They just yeah. sit there and they just watch, you know? And I'm like, well, is that a bad thing? Well, when they dance, they, you know, because Saucy Jack had come in, packed the house, but everybody's dancing. So yep. they're buying more drinks. Exactly. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. Yeah. Baby. I, yeah. This is just what it is, you know? And, exactly. Well, I also feel that like cover bands also pick a lane. I'm not trying to say like pick a lane and stay in it because that's not something that's 2019, you know, get in your lane or whatever. Yeah. But like, um, I mean, if we just pick out some of the cover bands, like you got, uh, as of the nowadays, like Chris Carban plays like everything that's awesome from the sixties through the seventies, maybe stack a couple new, they do songs a few songs that. that we used to do like yeah. Southern cross and, uh, yeah, dude, Southern cross. I, yeah. I love that song. You want me to play that on guitar for Let's you? Let's do too? it. <laughs> and, uh, the like, but like riddled with class is one of those bands that took those like nineties into the two thousands songs that you were talking about. Right. That, and, uh, it's not, like I said, it's not my wheelhouse, but those are the people going to bars now. Yeah. And those are the people that have the spending power in our society. It seems like so, that's what they're playing. So everybody seems to find exactly the niche they need to to have the group of people come to watch them that they need to. We we never worried about that. I guess. Uh, yeah. We never even concerned it. I mean, we just we just we we're self contained. We just 
we worried about what we were doing, and that's it. That's you know? a good way to do it, though. Because everybody, like you said, all the we'd we'd be playing, and somebody would come up, hey, play some Metallica. Does it look like we playing in Metallica? Yeah. I mean, we could take Roadhouse Blues and play it for twenty minutes, you know, and just have a blast with it. I don't know what that system beep was all about. That was our timer. Timer for what? I don't know. Oh man, that's crazy. <laughs> Hope something doesn't blow up over here. Um, yeah, so it, it is kind of weird because I always try to figure to myself, like, how do I go about, uh, like, if I was going to play a show with mostly covers? And I've done it before, um, but you, it's like, I got to pick songs, but I can't just pick songs that, like, had they hired somebody else, this person would have just played all the same stuff because I don't want to be, like, a mirror image of anybody. So when I played my songs, it was always just kind of like, I want to pick stuff that I like, that yeah, I, I want to hear. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, and just hope and pray that other people enjoy these songs. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. Well, well, you, you got to pick something that, like, for us, we had uh, Sean Wilson, who was our vocalist, and and he had a hell of a range. He still does have a hell of a range, but um, we just kind of picked what, you know, if it was out of his, like Sgt. Pepper, that was the top, you know, that was the top of what he could hit, you okay. know, the... Uh, let me introduce to you. Yeah. You just, the one and only Billy Shears, it goes yep. way up there. Yep. But then it'd go into the Joe Cocker version of Get By With a Little Help, My and he just, he nailed that. He says, what would you do if I sang? Nice. Uh, yeah, and it just, it totally slowed the whole thing down, and we're all like, bye, little help for my friends. Oh, that's and it awesome. Just, yeah, and it, it, you just got the, and the crowd loved it. They just loved it, and, and he... We, when we hired him, we saw him out at the motorcycle rally. He was playing with a band called Axis, okay. and we just got rid of our singer. And they, the band Axis, was already a band, and he was like their light guy. Oh wow! And he got up and he sang a couple, two or three songs, you know. And then he walked off stage. He's sitting there by the fence, combing his hair and all this stuff. And <laughs> me and Dean and Chip, our other guitar player, Chip Evans, which I know you know him. Yeah, I know Chip. And we walked up there and we're like, hey, man, you got to join our band. You got to join our band. You know, you're great and all this stuff. And he's like, he said later, I'm up on at the biggest show that my band's ever played. And you guys are trying to solicit me to get into your band. And I don't even know you guys or heard you guys. And uh-huh. somehow talked him up, talked him into coming up and playing um, at my farmhouse north of Thorne. His first practice, he brings a six-pack of tall cans and some chocolate chip cookies, and we're, we're going through the whole set list. We had like 40 or 50 tunes on there, you know, I don't know if I could do that one. So I was like, all right, all right. We tried a bunch of stuff, and I said, here's the list. What can you sing off of this list? Uh-huh. He goes, well, I could sing that uh, Traveling Man, Beautiful Loser, Bob Seger. Mm-hmm. And uh, are you familiar with that one? Yep. Up with the sun and, and gone with the wind. And he nailed it. He just he f- he nailed it. Nailed it. That's awesome. And we and we because our old singer he never sang it like that. He never sang it like that. And we're just that was the only song we played the whole practice. And we just sat around, laughed and drank after that. It was just like, <laughs> wow, that That's was awesome. just yeah. Because we just uh, Jeremy Pearson. He was our him and Wilson came into the band at the same time. And Pearson plays for a. Uh, uh, Lone Tree Revival now with Ober and nice, yeah, yeah, bass player, and he was eighteen at the time. Oh, jeez, yeah, you got that young talent. Oh, it was yeah, he was from Palmer, and uh, I think Chip found him. He had a down at the music store again, going through the card catalog or something, and he'd seen us because we'd played over in Pomeroy before, and I remember him sitting watching the band. 
because we're set up back in this little corner and there's a young guy sitting at the front table and he's watching the band. I remember seeing him and stuff like that, but he was probably 16, 17 then. And, uh-huh. and uh, then when he joined the band, it was like, because Chip played bass for a little while and I've argued this with, with Billy Lynn, you know, Bill. Yep. Um, there's a difference between a bass player and a guitar player who plays bass. I've said that on the podcast yes. multiple times. I can play the bass, but I can't play the bass like a bass guitarist plays No bass. shit. Yeah. So I, like if you need it in a pinch, I can pull it off. But right. It's, it's not going to sound as fancy and good. Right. You know. Because I mean, Chip, he, he could play bass. Mm-hmm. He, he hit the notes, but it, it's not. And, and Pearson is just like. Walking from note to note and he, hitting he, octaves and yes, fifths and yes. thirds and using his fingers and he's got his in his little slap here and there and it, it's it's perfect you know and I was like my right foot and his right hand are best friends now. yeah that's yeah. awesome that's cool so uh, like as with every band um, I mean you've been in a band that shape shifted a little bit and now you've started your own band and it sounds like uh, you've had a few members come in and out of a cave band yeah. All right. So, uh, but the, the the lineup that stuck for the like ten years was um, Chip Evans, Dean Mattoon, Sean Wilson, Jeremy Pearson, and and I, and uh, Jake Torkelson, off and on. You know Jake, baby no, Jake. The name's familiar, but no. Uh, he was the when I when I wanted to start Cave Van, parking lot jam was right down there at the music store. Okay. And uh, he got up there. He was fifteen years old. Hmm. Yes, and incredible blues player, and I was just like, I want that guy. Yeah, and his mom and dad was there, uh, Mary and Bruce, and I was like, uh, Can he come over to my house and we can play some tunes? You know, and I was I was at the ski band, and I was older, and they're like, Well, I don't know, you know, yeah, long yeah. hair and all that crap, and so they let him come over with my cousin Nate for his first practice, you know, to kind of like watch over him so he's not going to get hurt or whatever. I don't know what they're I don't know what they're thinking, but yeah, and it. Jake played, see, right off the bat when we started, uh, we played our first show in January of 93 up in Titanka, and right off the bat, it's like we carved a name out for ourselves, and and all of a sudden, we find ourselves at the Laramar Ballroom after nine or ten shows that we'd played, and we're opening for Molly Hatchet. Oh, dude, that's sick. Yes. Sweet. Oh, it was incredible, because I'm like, this is more like it. You know, because you get up there on stage and the you look out and it's just packed. It's uh-huh. just packed, and you're sitting in front of a wall of amplifiers that Molly Hatchet has, and you got your little crap that you got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and they saw some talent in Jake. So one of the one of the people out of Molly Hatchet was like, "You need to get away from these guys." Oh man. Yeah. So they took Jake like after ten, eleven shows that we'd played. Mm-hmm. Jake was all of a sudden out of the band. It's like. Uh, so Dean Mattoon had to just instantly step up in a week because we had shows booked. Uh-huh. So we started doing a lot of ZZ Top and CCR and, yep. you know, just kind of three-piece type stuff because we didn't have Chip. Chip wasn't playing bass. We had uh, Quentin Coker playing bass at that time. And we just kind of took on that persona for like a three-piece and then our singer played harmonica and stuff. And, uh-huh. and uh, it was way better when Jake came back because he, he got like a Hodgkin's disease. Oh, okay. And uh, he lost a bunch of weight and lost his hair and everything, and he came back because he was on the road for forever with um, oh, Bernard Ellison, okay. um, a blues player. And okay. 
I can't remember the gal's name. He's going to kick my ass for that. <sighs> um, but he, he got this Hodgkin's disease, and he came back, and we're like, join the band again, dude. Yeah. Come play again. So now all of a sudden we go from one or two guitar players. Now we got three. Mm-hmm. And it was like you pulled the old Iron Maiden on that one. Oh, you, you already had a or, or the Outlaws, or you know, you got the Guitar Army, you know. Yeah. But to facilitate three guitar players and a drum set and a bass rig on stage, I remember playing in Goldfield at this little little dinky place, and it, all the amps and everything. I was squished in between all this stuff, and I I play a four piece kit. You know? Yep. And uh, it was just. It was awesome because everybody was just like right on top of each other and the place is packed and it's hot and sweaty and smelling like rock and roll, you know? And, yep. And it was just, it was cool because there was no volume wars, you know? It was just kind of, okay, turn, use your guitar. Use your guitar to turn up and turn back down. And, you know, when you're playing with that many people, you got to have a little taste and flavor and yep. and uh, just kind of use your instincts, you know, like that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's one reason I liked going to like jam nights and stuff because you would go there and it's pretty much just like uh, they're kind of set to unity. Like they're each amp is as loud as the other one, so if you want to hit a solo, just turn your guitar up a little bit. Yeah, um, uh, that's something I'm still trying to figure out because I like I grew up in the punk era. It's just like crank everything to ten and go, you know. Yep. But like, yep. uh, it takes a little bit more control in the blues area if you want to start doing the volume control on your own guitar. That was like a that Jacob Williamson. You know that that cat, uh, like a dreadlock guy, and played bass. Gifted, gifted. He's like twenty one years old. He's at a, he's going to school for playing bass down in somewhere on the east coast or something like that. Okay. And Jeremy Ober brought him down from the college because he, he, it was ridiculous. This guy would just five string bass or I don't know. He'd just make it look like it was just doing classical <laughs> stuff on bass, but he could not play. He could not do that. He could. I mean, I'm like, wow, that's like the. But he wanted to be down there for that because he wanted to learn that. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, you know, uh, he it, he it's almost like pacing yourself. You yeah, because I mean, he was he was leaps and strides above that. Yes, but he was. It wasn't dumbing down. It was like he was like. It's almost like a someone who's book smart but not street smart. Yes, you know. Yes, like, is the guy's mondo intelligent but doesn't know the first thing about walking down the street. Right, and, and, you know. But that and that that lends itself to that. I've seen that at a lot of uh, jam nights where you get a guy that jumps in there and it's like this guy is wicked talented, but for some reason sweet picking and tapping doesn't fit into this <laughs> this blues song very well. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. Well, it's just like uh, like I was saying before, you could have the most gifted guitar player on the stage. And his band sucks. Yeah. You know, so that's where none of none of the people in Cave Band were ever virtuosos, but as a whole, it was unstoppable. I that's, mean, you couldn't you couldn't beat it. I mean, we played with Quiet Riot and Head East and, and 38 Special and all. And, you know, we played with Quiet Riot out there at Sheldon Park. And I, I've played I wanted, on that stage more than any drummer, I guarantee. Was I, that one of the abate rallies that they had yeah, out there? Yeah, the okay. last one that they had. Oh, cool. Um, and it was it was dumb because this Brian Beidelman that I was talking about he he was booking the bands out there that year for a bait and uh, Quiet Riot they pulled up and I didn't even know who they were because they're just older guys or whatever yep. not really old but um, Kevin they, du- Kevin Dubrow still alive yeah yeah yep. it was it was Rudy Sarzo 
Oh, dude. Carlos Cavanos and uh, um, Frankie Benelli and Kevin Dubrow. It was the original band. Yes. Dude, yes. That's, that's wicked. And so they're backstage there in Sheldon Park, and they're on a on a school bus because that was like the backstage area or whatever for the bands. And the road manager comes out, and he's like, I need these 9-volt batteries. It's on the rider. Where's these 9-volt batteries? And Brian's like, I don't know. And he's looking around at his friend, and he's like, where's the 9-volt batteries at? They will not get on stage until these batteries are here because they need them for blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, holy crap. And this Because <laughs> I'm working – this is one of my first years. Well, it's probably been back there five or six years, but it mm-hmm. just became an intense – because the crowd's out there, and the band's not going on until these guys get their writer fulfilled. Yep. You know, and I'm like, whoa. So Brian gets this guy. He gets on his motorcycle, flies into flies into Humboldt Country Store, buys all the 9-volt batteries. Like, at the country store, they're five bucks a piece. Yep. You know, just – I don't know if he spent his own cash. Come out there, got off his bike, runs up to Brian. Here, man, here's the here's the batteries, here's the batteries, and gave, here's the batteries. Guy opened up his briefcase, put him in the briefcase, shut the lid, and he says, "Okay, guys, you can go." And I was like, "Wow!" <laughs> Didn't really even need him. Wow! But, but, uh... That's when I that's when I learned that rock and roll guys are rude bastards. Like when you up at the rally, when you when you deal with country guys, they're polite. They say, "Please, thank you." Uh huh. Um, like this, uh, Chase Chase Bryant. Okay. He's a country singer nowadays and pretty popular. All right. Plays guitar left handed upside down. Nice. Telecaster and uh, he got off the bus and he come shook everybody's hand. Hi, I'm Chase Bryant. I'm Chase Bryant. Huh. Twenty twenty six years old. Got his own tour bus. His own whole thing going on. I'm like, wow. And puts on an incredible show. Uh huh. And just incredible. Person, Gift, gifted, yeah. yes, very personable, person, you, approachable, yeah. you know, because he's sitting there playing, playing a little bit of guitar, and I, I told my daughter, I'm like, Jojo, this guy's playing guitar left-handed, upside down, so when he's doing a solo, instead of coming down the neck, he's going, going up, up the neck, up the neck, yeah, and I said, I, I tapped him on the shoulder, he's doing a little sound check thing there, and I'm like, play me a G chord, man. How do you do that? Yeah. He showed me this really fucked up fingering thing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> what the hell? And he goes, well, you can make an easier G if you take your B string and you knock it down to an F sharp. And I'm like, John Bowman showed me that trick. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so all of a sudden you have a, an open, your open G. Yep. And uh, another gifted player, John Bowman. Yeah. I'm jamming with him right now and Billy Lynn. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've uh, been in contact with him a little bit uh, here and there. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Incredible incredible gifted man yeah I've, I've been waiting to pick his mind a little bit i've, I've never seen him play live but i've seen videos and it's, Dude. it's pretty <sighs> wild yeah um well with bill because bill he's not the greatest player but he's a good songwriter he's a damn good songwriter yeah yeah and we're jamming up uh, it was a couple weeks ago we're jamming up at uh west bend up at uh, bowman's place and i hadn't ate nothing all day or you know we're down there jamming and and making a bunch of noise and they're they're trying to well Bowman's playing a riff and Bill's trying to throw some words on it it just wasn't jiving you know and mm-hmm. and Bowman's dad comes in hey I got some raviolis and stuff like that up here if you guys are hungry and I was like I'll have some yep. so I went up there and ate and I was sitting there talking to his dad for a while and I thought God, it's getting kind of late you know and Bill came up he goes uh, you want to come down and listen to what we just what we just wrote and well sure went down there and listened to it I was like Hook after hook after hook. I'm like, when when did you guys do this? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, then Bowman says, well, we get stuff done without the drummer in the room. Bleh. Oh, yeah, the dr- yeah. yeah. 
Yeah. What's a drum machine got over a drummer? You only got to punch the drum machine, punch the information of the drum machine one time. <laughs> Dude, yeah, and that's the thing, though. Like, I'm learning that uh, the f- the deeper I get into the music scene around the northern Iowa area, this is friggin' packed full of people who have done a lot of crazy cool things. Yes. You know? And, yes. Uh, uh, just people I haven't seen yet or haven't met yet or have had, like, very sparse conversations with on the internet. Because, um, like, John Bowman uh, had originally, somebody had said, hey, hit him up because I had an issue with an amp. And he's done his own amp mods and things like oh, that yeah. here and there. So I was just yeah. like, hey, help me out with this. And uh, I I don't even know if I told him, but, like, John gave me a quick solution to what I needed and it worked. So uh, hats off, John, if you're listening oh, to this. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's, yeah. I'm, I'll, we got practice tomorrow night. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah tell him a tip. Well, there's a, there's a bass cap. player, uh, Tobias or something, you know, this I don't. I've never met him before, but he's gonna be my new best friend, I guess. So. <laughs> I've I've heard of Tobias bass guitars. Well, he's from Fort Dodge or something, I guess. Oh, I, I don't know. Friend of Bill's, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, but you know, jamming without a bass player and just two guitar players, and it it's it wasn't really. You don't really feel it as a drummer because yep. you need like a, a low little thump, you know, and something to catch the groove with, you know. Yep. But we're we're. It's some of the ideas that Bill's coming up with, and he's just writing this stuff on the spot. Yeah. I don't know how he gets his brain working like that, because, I mean, I've, I've written a few songs that I just, like a song that I sent you, uh, Sticks and Stones, Cave Band did it, um, six-part harmonies, but it, that came, everybody did that, I let everybody just take their own part in the song, uh-huh. and it just it happens you know but it, it that's the one of the only songs i ever wrote down as fast as you hear the lyrics sung that's how fast i wrote the song down and i didn't change a damn thing and i was like and it just felt good right off the bat and uh and it was new year's eve in 1995 I wrote it december 5th of 1995 and uh we played it at rutland new year's eve cool yep that's awesome yep we just sat around the table and and because that's that's what the the neat thing about an acoustic guitar. Because you can have band practice and everybody can sit around the table and everybody's playing guitar and that's how I basically learned how to play guitar is just watching Chip and and Dean and and watching other people play. You know, uh-huh. and that B minor chord it just it kills me every time. Dude, yeah, it it is a killer though. <laughs> like I've I've given lessons and that's usually one that stops people in their tracks is, yeah. the, is the B minor or like an F chord. Well, to go to it really fast. You yes. Know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, and I'll tell you what, like, I don't play enough acoustic guitar all the time that involves B minor chords to tell you that I'm going to nail it every single time either. I mean, you and I were sitting here and I missed it a couple times while I was trying to hit it, so. I would hit it on that guitar every time because that's a sweet-ass guitar. It's a, re- <laughs> it's, it's a really nice guitar, but that's uh, Damn. that's what you get for hunting down on Craigslist and the Facebook marketplace and, <laughs> and figuring out what you what you want and uh, finding yeah, How pe- did you know how it sounded before? That's, you know, people will order order symbols on online or something. I'm like, I'm not a fan of that. I want to hear exactly what it sounds like, you know, or they'll like, I'm on this, uh, drum website or whatever, you know, a drum group. Yep. On it's Facebook. a really intelligent group. Cause it's just full of drummers, you know? <laughs> and, uh, these guys will send pictures of their fancy drum sets and all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, it's shiny. It's got all the beeps and whistles. How does it sound? Yep. You know, play it. I mean, make it, make it, I want to hear it. 
you know. I, I totally get you. Because, I mean, you can have like a 47-piece drum set that costs $9,000. Yeah. And it's like, it doesn't matter if you're not playing it to the ex- fullest extent that you can. Like I was saying earlier, um, when we were playing at Pee Wee's one time, Dan Trimble from the music store, mm-hmm. uh, he comes in and I, I had felt on my drum heads and stuff like that because I, I I watched other people do it and it's kind of a flat sound, you know, and take the bottom head off and yep. you just it's a flat sound, you know, and, and Dan says, what do you got that felt on there for? And I was like, well, it helps tune the blah, 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 blah. And did it come out of the factory like that? And <laughs> instantly I was just like... Psh- Duh. So I've never run, and I take a, a a page from the book of Kai Hob. If you know Kai Hob, yeah, yeah, I've I've met Kai. Oh man, I met Kai like 15 years ago when I first started playing. He, Somehow or another, our paths crossed. And he's like a year younger than me, but a day older than me, if that makes sense. Because I was born September 2nd, 69, and he was born September 3rd of 70. Okay. Yeah. So and we, he's redhead. I'm a good-looking redhead just like him. <laughs> and damn, he's he's incredible, you know. And yeah, he's, he's really, he said he was really playing good. this show down in Des Moines one time, and he plays a 24-inch bass drum. Okay. And a 24 by 16, I think it is. And and he's playing along, and, and the sound guy says, wait, 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 wait. You know, your drums are way too loud. And he says, listen up, sound guy. This is how I play. You will have to run the PA around me because if I if I play different, I'm not going to play as well. Yes. And I'm like, wow, you said that to the sound guy? Because I was, you know, when I was at the ski band, you don't talk back to Ed Wilson. No. <laughs> yeah. No. I totally. You do not. Dude, and I, I totally understand that, too. Coming from, and it's so weird that, like. Uh, the sound guy could kill you live. Yeah. Well, the sound guy would just be like, oh, well, you know. Well, we'll just turn them drums off. No, screw you, then. Yeah. You know, like, he could, you know, he does have the power from yes, above to do literally anything. And I've always been one to just be like, be as nice to the sound guy as possible. Because. Yes. If there's a sound guy, he's controlling everything that everybody out there hears. So you well, like might- my sound guy for the past 15 years has been Mike Weideman and Rochelle, and mm-hmm. yeah, and Mikey's the the best because I mean he's he can get her dialed in fast. Yep, because he like he does the rally, he does the big the big bands, and he learned from the Kentucky Headhunters of all all bands. Mm-hmm. Um, this drum set they got their the bass drums are from the Metcalf County school the high school or whatever okay and they got these bass drums because the the school had these drums and the guy the um, fred from the band wanted the drums and so they the story is they pissed in the drums and they started smelling mm-hmm. so the band was like ah throw them out in the dumpster and they took them out of the dumpster and that's the bass drums <laughs> yeah they get and this thing is the ricketiest he sits on a tractor seat, a metal tractor seat. That's his drum throne, <laughs> and he's in the single tom, and it's on a it's on a snare stand, and he's got his floor tom sitting on like a spin out grill stand. <laughs> Rickety, just flops yeah. all over the place, and his hi hats all this. It's like cheap. He could have a top of the line anything, but these drums sound great. Yeah, because the sound guy, mm-hmm. which Mikey learned off of very quickly, because he's like, how do you get that? drum to sound like that and i find myself i was doing the sound check for the drum set of mm-hmm. kentucky headhunters and i'm sitting on that seat going wow i'm in fred it's, it's like two o'clock in the afternoon uh-huh. and he's got old heads on this drum set i'm like these things ain't gonna sound any good and i start kicking the bass drum do 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 and all of a sudden it just comes alive and it uh-huh. just it comes alive and i was like wow mikey how did he do that and he goes this this little effects right here this little <laughs> it's like a little a rack unit, you know, and he says he just tweaked that there and tweaked that there and 
poof. Some sort of parametric EQ of some so, sort. It was it was incredible. That's crazy. Yeah. That's always been something that's like uh I'm not like bad at dialing in sound. That's another one that's like the bass guitar argument. Like anybody can run sound, but to run sound well takes a special kind of somebody, you know? Well you gotta have a good sound coming out of the amp first. Yeah. I oh mean, yeah. If yeah. you got your EQ set like a smile, you're not doing it right. No, it sounds good at bedroom levels, but not, <laughs> not anywhere else. And I actually, uh, just just yesterday, I did an interview with a, um, a guy, and these will come out, obviously, not one day after the other. They'll come out a week apart, but he was uh, recording... Uh, he does live recording and then like in studio recording for bands and we had discussed that a little bit like junky tone coming out of out of amps and things like that and it's you know he's like it's a battle but at the same rate you know you kind of just do deal with what you're dealt as the sound guy and try and make it sound the best that you yeah. you think it should you know Pol- polish the turd <laughs> a little you know. bit yeah but that's it's another I always thought being a sound guy would be so hard because, like you said, in the instance where like Kai plays the drums in a certain fashion, uh, either loud—I guess we could just call it loud. It, well, it's not loud. It's just—it's it, just the way he plays. And, and I mean, to me, I want my snare drum to cut your head off right at the neck. Yep. And I want it to just pop. Yep. I want it to because. If you get a good bass drum sound and a good snare sound... The rest is just gravy. Yes, because the tom, everything else just kind of dials itself in, you know, and mm-hmm. and that's, you start with the bass drum. Every sound check begins, kick the bass drum. Yep. And once that is there, that's your foundation, and you work from there, you know, mm-hmm. and... Every drummer is always no, just just go boom, 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 boom. boom. That's what the sound guy wants to hear. You don't have to be John Bonham right off the bat. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was kind of funny when you go to sound checks and it's like play something for sound check and the person plays something and it's nothing like what they're gonna play in the band live. So it's like, well, you just got dialed in for metal, but you're playing punk stuff. So I don't know. So I've always kind of run into an issue with a little bit of that, but. but yeah, being a sound guy would be difficult, though. Like, uh, just imagine all the characters you have to run into on a constant daily basis. Everywhere. And everybody's like, I can't hear the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> well, move five feet that way and a couple steps up, you know, because yeah. it, it changes all the time. Yes. It's, it, you get people in there and it sounds different. You get somebody standing over here, it sounds different. Yep. They got a, they got a real tough job. Yeah. Real, and I, for me, I ran sound one weekend for... Uh, I got Reverend Catfish a uh, gig down at Peewee's one time. Cool. And I had like a God, it was an old, it's an old PV board. Nice. Big old knobs on it. It was like a twelve channel board, I think. Uh huh. And just bare bare minimum, you know. But I told him I would get him a gig there. And there wasn't very many people there because it kind of pissed me off because. They hear blues and ah, blues band, blah, yeah. blah, blah, you know. Well, people think of blues and they think of like the worst parts of country where it's just like, oh, you're going to sing a song about how your dog died or something. Yeah, just, don't don't stereotype it. I mean, until you actually hear it. Exactly. And the first the first set of the first night, you know, I thought, okay, do a sound check. We got this dialed in, this dialed in. And they started playing in the nuances of just, just the instruments themselves. I was like, Ooh, I got this way off. I got to bring this down and bring this up and catfish. He's bringing his guitar up and down. And so I'm trying to kind of work with that. But I, I thought I'll just leave the guitar alone. Cause he seems like he's got his volume down. Uh-huh. The bass is not changing. Joel Stein, you know, Joel. Yep. And, uh, I think, uh, Tony Jorgensen was playing drums Okay. and he's pretty consistent, uh-huh. you know, just a steady hitter. And I once I got the drums dialed in, and and Joel was rock solid, always has been, always will be. He's he's golden in my book. Mm-hmm. And Catfish just did the rest, and they just they mixed themselves. 
Nice. They 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 mix themselves. You just had to worry about turning a vocal up because you know he don't know all the words sometimes. And yeah, <laughs> I can't believe it. We've already covered fifty two minutes, and I don't even know if we've covered everything or even gotten close to covering everything that we want to talk about here. What do we uh, want to talk about? Music? Oh uh, yeah, maybe some more music. <laughs> I just pulled up this email over here on this this thing here. It's trying to find other stuff that we've you've kind of touched base on originally but haven't quite come back to um so cave band is is the big band that you've been in for the longest amount of time are you guys still playing shows uh we played well actually cave band was the big band i was in at the time and then it went to dago and criminal history which we played all over the country okay and uh then planet rock after that which uh just broke up a couple years ago because our singer terry bowden uh she married to Pete Bowden in the military, and he got restationed okay. down in Alabama. And uh, it's like we we were together for 2006 till 17, so 11 years. Yeah, yep. yeah. But uh, that that was a damn good band. That was a damn good band. Yeah, and that was pretty sure who I saw at the Thor Fest. Right. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that was that was a good band, dude. And, you uh, guys were killing it. We had Scotty Rockstar for a singer at first, you know, and he. And I know you know Scotty, right? Yep, I've met Scotty. I love that guy. Love that guy. He's just the funnest, most happiest dude. And he can sing like a canary. Yeah. And (laughs) we just came to a kind of a dividing spot, and which is like, he wanted to do this, and we wanted to kind of do this, and he went off and did his thing. And and, uh, Jeremy, bass player, he's like, let's hire Terry. And I'm like, a female singer? I don't know, man. I don't know. It worked. And dude... A female singer is less drama than any guy singer ever. <laughs> she was sweet, down to earth, and she could sing, and she charmed the crowd. I mean, she she was very humble in and the way she presented herself, you know. Yes, and just very approachable. and And before we'd play, she'd come up and give everybody a kiss and a hug on stage and stuff. And oh, nice! Yeah, it's just kind of cool. But we had a we had a show worked out. That's that's what I like about Planet Rock because we had a show worked out that we would uh, do our first set and at the end of the first set do a drum solo uh-huh. and then the band would step off stage and then at the end of the drum solo at a certain I'd do certain stuff and then Jeremy'd come back up on stage and him and Terry would do a couple songs and then Ober would come up onto stage and then they'd do some songs uh-huh. and then I'd be able to take a break yep and then after like they'd play five or six songs. Then I'd get up there and we'd finish out the second set, basically. So we've already played for three hours uh-huh. and we haven't taken a break yet, a yeah. legitimate break, you know? You know, that's pretty awesome, though, when you give yourself the ability to do that, where it's like, we could all take a break at the same time or we could start splitting this up into smaller sections. And Well, and- once Ober starts playing, if you ever jammed with him, he don't stop. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, don't you ever have to pee, dude? I dude, mean... That was my favorite part about the first jam night I ever went to. Ober's just like, you want to play? <laughs> and I'm always the guy that's just like, I'm nervous. No, I don't want to play. But like, I, at that point in, in my playing, had played... I was up to the point where it's like, you're playing three, four, five hours a day. It's just like every free minute is guitar time. And I was like, yeah, I can do this. I can totally do this. He played the whole entire night yeah. at uh, at the jam night. And it's not that like, oh, I played the whole night, but he played like four hours straight, like you said, and didn't step off the yeah. stage to yeah. like to pee or to say hi or to, to yeah. do anything, you know? I, I, I mean, that's back when I started playing, you had to play the four hour set because there was no... 
you, unless you were a great big band, then you played for like 90 minutes or whatever, you know, yep. but other than that, you're, you're playing for four hours and yeah. that's just the way it is, you know? And like, uh, our first show was with Jeremy Ober. We were playing a bacon fest up at the Clay County Event Center. Okay. And it was, it was huge. It was and bacon brownies, dude. Yeah, yeah. Wow. I don't eat bacon, man. A what? No. What? Dude. <laughs> I don't know. It's just, I, I just Peter don't eat Stockdale bacon. does not eat bacon. Yes, I do wow. not. I don't, I don't know. I just don't, I, I cut meat for so many years and I, I didn't eat bacon before that or after that or. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. I've I don't never met a, anybody that doesn't eat I don't need a whole lot you of wouldn't even notice. All. You wouldn't even notice that. What was it? I have no clue what's going on with that beep. You wouldn't even you wouldn't even notice because you bacon brownies, dude, and and it was awesome because the what band was it playing because we had to play twice that day and it was the Nadas I think were playing okay after us and they're they're original group and whatever but to me it was boring it was lackluster you know but anyway we're we're up there for our our set you know mm-hmm. and we we're playing for an hour and a half right off the bat and um we were doing uh, the steel dragon song um off the movie Rockstar. Uh, I don't know. Oh damn I can't but there's Jeremy uh Pearson he's playing the bass and Terry's singing along, you know, and the guitar and the drums don't come in for a little bit, you know. So Ober's over there and he's got his he's got his beer sitting on his amp, he's taking a drink and I walk out from behind the drum set and I'm I just standing right next to him. He turns around and he's like, Whoa and I said <laughs> What do you think uh, everybody in the crowd is thinking of a couple tall, sexy fuckers like us? What do you, what do you think they're <laughs> thinking? What, what are we talking about, you know? And he's like, you're strange. <laughs> That's the only thing he said. And I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> so fast forward another hour and a half, two hours. Uh, the Nadas had played and we reset up and we're doing our set again because mm-hmm. it's a whole new crowd and all this stuff. So we're doing that song again. And I'm over here by my hi-hat. I'm getting a drink and all this stuff. And I look up. And there's there's Ober standing right there by my floor, Tom. And I'm like, whoa. Because <laughs> what do you think uh, the crowd's thinking? that we're? And I was like, dude, come on. I love you, man. <laughs> you are my best friend just like right now. Uh, he's such a fun guy. <sighs> oh, geez. And yeah, then he actually put up with me playing guitar with him on stage. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm like the dumbest dude ever to play guitar with that guy, you know? <laughs> How about I just play a couple... You just... And he'd he'd say, "Well, you don't need to know a whole lot. Just uh, do an A minor, a C, and an F here, and watch me for the changes." I'm like, "Okay, dude." He's actually really good at explaining stuff and dumbing it down on the fly for you. Yeah, like that's probably my favorite part about jamming with him is he's just like, "These are the chords. They're usually in this pattern, and if they're not, just keep your eye on me. Yeah, you'll, you'll figure it out." And it's and hold on. And, and he and he does a good job because it's like as soon as the change comes, he just like leans over and it's like he goes through everything once and you're like, "Oh, I got this. I got this." Yeah. So so we're playing East Side Window because he wanted to do that with Planet Rock. So oh yeah, it gets to the end of the song, and that's a good song, dude. That's that, a damn good song. That's a damn good song. And I wasn't quite done playing yet. Yep. You know, so he's looking at me and he's like waving the top of his guitar. Okay, boom, done. And I'm like, no, we're gonna keep playing. Mm-hmm. And it turned into a whole different thing, you know. Yep. So we started jamming for another two minutes on just on started doing a little Tom thing, and and everybody just oh okay, let's groove with it. And he's yep. like, huh, well, it's kind of my song, but you grabbed it and you fucking ran with it, and you know, and <laughs> hey, if it feels, I mean, if it feels good, just just go with it. Yeah, because like you're like you say your punk rock song, that's pretty. Yep, yep. It's, it's got to be set. here, 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 and here, and that's it. Yeah. Yep. And like you take a tune like uh, 
like caveman used to do la woman okay and yep. dude when it breaks down into that motel money murder madness mm-hmm. change of blue change of mood from glad to sadness boom boom you can do anything there for five minutes yeah <laughs> and it's just all cool until it all comes back in and that's you know, and nobody decides when it comes back in. It's just kind of... Just does. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and that's kind of the way we always just kind of... Everybody look at each other. Now? Yeah. Nah, let's wait a little bit. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you know? I don't know. Yeah, and that's one reason I like Jam Nights, too. Because, like, one of my favorite songs was uh, Going Down by Freddie King. Mm. Uh, it's just, like, one verse. And yeah. then, And there's no chorus to it. It's just a verse. That's And then it's another verse later. And there's, you can, I mean, there's different people who have covered it with different verses, et cetera. But like, you literally just like play a verse solo until you're tired of soloing. Yeah, it's like Catfish. Uh, yeah. That, the song Catfish, uh, Ober does it. It's like one chord. Yeah. It's like just hit an A or hit an E, whatever it is, you know? And mm-hmm. I'm like, uh, what else does it do? That's it. Yeah. Every once in a while, it'll go up to something else. I'm like, okay, I'll just look at you for that one. You, you can kind of feel it. You yeah. You can kind of feel it after a while, though. Yeah. And I mean, that's also one of the fun parts about like playing with Three Finger Betty, punk band, but at the end of every set, depending on whether or not we've filled up our time slot or if we have extra time or if it's, I don't know, uh, if the crowd is feeling it, et cetera, we'll just bust into a jam and for like no reason. And it's like, well, what key did the last song end in? Just go to town. And so you don't, you don't, it's not planned. You just, somebody just keeps on playing or what? Yeah. It's like a, it ended in an E and then Clint, the drummer just goes, don't, don't, but doodle do well, how do you know what he's gonna do? Or you just you don't? Uh, no, he just I just feed off the bass guy, and and uh, like the intro song to this a podcast is actually a clip out of a jam that I stole from from one of our jams. Oh, sweet! So like, if you're listening to the like the intro or when I'm talking in the outro, the background music, it's just a loop from a jam that we did, and I just was like, ah, I'm just gonna clip this portion of this. And That's cool. When so, I when I was uh, with uh, after Cave Band kind of tapered off. Well, we had our official last show in 2006 or 2004, I can't remember. But uh, I'd already joined up with Dago in Criminal History. He was like a, a motorcycle club member, and we mm-hmm. he wrote all original stuff, all original stuff. And his music was it just, he was big on the lyrics Yep. because he's a storyteller. Yeah. And I found myself overplaying too much, you yeah. know, and... He wasn't one to really hold back, you know. So in the middle of a show, we were playing at Pee Wee's, and uh, I was getting a little aggressive, you know. And he he stopped in the middle of the song. You're playing too damn loud, and I just like I, oh, I melted behind the drums, and I'm like, sorry, dude. <laughs> yeah. Just count it off again. I'm like, okay, <laughs> a little quieter this time. And I kind of learned how to do the feel with that. But our shows, we get paid ungodly amounts of money. I mean, yeah. we played down at uh, uh, Conesville, and to play a two-hour slot down in the uh, Possum Lodge, twenty-five hundred bucks. Oh, geez, for a four-piece band. That's awesome. Yeah, That's so I'm killer. walking out of there, I got six hundred bucks in my pocket for playing for two hours. I'm like, Pfft. I I love that we play St. Louis and. We played uh, with Confederate Railroad down in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. You know, Jeez. Uh, I like my women a little on the trashy side, you I don't know. know, if I know that one. No. What? No. Oh man. No. Maybe yeah. I'd have to hear it. You did, yeah, you'd know it if you heard it. It's it's it was a country hit back in the nineties, I believe. But 
these guys were like pros and they loved everywhere we went they loved dago's music you know yep um and we'd played montrose colorado um uh fargo north dakota um biddeford maine that was that was 20 24 hours one way yeah yeah dude. and we're, we're getting paid at the end of the show you know we played there for two i think we played there for two days and uh it was another motorcycle club and and dago was breaking new ground because these clubs had had been enemies for years you know uh-huh. and he went there as a sole performer and amongst this other group and they they loved him they fell in love oh, and it, awesome. it kind of broke down the barriers between all that and they had this uh, stage that kind of set up on a hill, you know, and and the perimeters, it's just trees. You could smell the ocean. We're like six miles from the ocean, Atlantic Ocean. Uh-huh. And we're it's kind of chilly at nighttime. And it was funny because this band that opened up for us, uh, I don't know if, they, if it was a Boston accent or whatever, but the the guy's setting his, his stuff up, his guitar rig, and he goes, Hey, baby, go get my guitar out of the car. I was like, get your guitar out of the car. I was laughing at him, you know. And he's like, well, uh, what do you say? Get your guitar out of the car. You go wash your car. <laughs> you throw too many R's in there yeah. instead. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was, it was a pretty good time and uh, just played all over the country with him. Uh, St. Louis show was, they're always good shows. I mean, I'd, I'd get kind of worried because some of his stuff was like slower music and 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 stuff like that but it it always won the crowd over Uh because at toward the end of the set it'd be rocking stuff and you would never ever you'd never know what he's going to play because he would he would play until he got tired of playing and then once he's done playing that then you're done you know he'd he'd your show might be an hour and a half or your show might be three hours you know that's crazy yeah and you just never knew because he picked the songs and he just kind of okay this is what we're doing okay yeah yeah that's when i finally bought myself a drum stool with a back on it oh yeah because dude them sets would get long and you couldn't i mean he you didn't leave until he got done playing yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) Yeah, that's that's insane. So you've been all over all over the U.S. playing with them, then. Yeah, it was uh, Chip too. Yeah, yeah. he was in oh, that band too. Oh, cool! I didn't know Chip was in that band. Oh too. yeah, he wrote a lot of songs off uh, the Unbreakable album that Dago recorded. He, Dago has now since passed away, but um, if you ever heard of Melvin James, um, he's with a band called Planet Melvin. Crazy dude, plays an SG and just abuses that guitar. Okay. And very recording savvy. He's from Minneapolis, and him and Dago hit it off right off the bat. So they started taking some of Dago's music and morphing it in with some Melvin's music. Uh huh. And when I was, I learned something very, very smart from from Melvin. We're down there. I was doing a drum track, and he sings Happy Sunshine songs, and Dago's songs a little bit darker, you know. And he's they're trying to morph this all together. And there's a spot in the song where it just it died. Okay. And then I went, Bob, and he goes, cut, 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 cut. Why do drummers have to think they're so arrogant that they get that one note that they get to go, bop, psh. Can, can you count? And I was like, yeah. Well, so can I. So let's just do this and don't hit that snare. I was like, and it sounds so much punchier and tighter when you don't yeah. hit the snare. Yeah. That, uh... And you, you, nobody ever really thinks about that because it's boom, you know, and... Yep. You catch drummers doing that all the damn time, you know, because, well, there's nothing to fill up this space, so I'm going to take it. Yep. 
Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. It's like the space between the notes is actually right. what's and adding all the If emphasis. you got everybody on the same page, boom, and you just punch it. And yep. you, you, you know. It's more of a punch in the face if nobody hits that grace note, that, that yeah. snare sound that yeah, you're saying. Yeah, because then they, everybody knows it's coming. Yep. You know, maybe it's going to be a five or six count or something. So how do you guys organize your set list as a, like, do you do the same set list every time you play? Or um, the metal band I'm in, yes. They we've polished off a set list of six, seven, eight songs. Uh, uh, the a half lineup, hour. The lineup has changed. Yeah, the lineup oh. has changed a few times, but uh, that's that's all that the current lineup actually has practiced. So you together. got, I mean, you got an opener and you got you open with like the same song. And yes, it's it's almost exactly the same set list every time. Uh, sometimes we'll morph it around. When you got six or seven songs, you really can't. Yeah, do exactly. A lot. Uh, we just know there's a couple songs we always try and keep on opposite ends of the set list a little bit. But yeah. like the punk band, it's, I mean, if you're going to play a half an hour set and you've got 30 songs, just, just, just pick whatever you want and go with it. So, I mean, sometimes it's like you said, sometimes we'll go up to a show and it's like, if there's not going to be a whole lot of people here or if like this person specifically is going to be here because like one person likes one song and this guy likes that song. So like we'll try and cater to the fans and be like, we'll play this song because we know that a couple people will go nuts for it. But otherwise, like sometimes we'll play on a show and it's like you guys get a half an hour. You're opening it up for Lionheart, and it's just like we got to we got to bring the thunder today because we're playing with Lionheart, and they're gonna you know they're a pretty damn good band. Yeah, you, you ever seen them? But like it's just like all right, so we got to set together a good set list. And John usually does most of the set list picking, the singer. So he's just like we're gonna play this one, this one, this one, this it's like one. Like Mick Jagger from the Stones, he picks all the tunes. <laughs> I mean, he caters around his voice. I mean, yeah. I mean, but it's it makes a lot of sense because yeah. he'll, he'll pick barn burners when when we need them, you know, yeah. and pick slow songs yep. when we need them. So he does a pretty good job of curating a nice list of what we need. Right. So that's usually how it goes. I I don't pull too many of the strings in, in either one of the bands. I kind of just how many guitar players just just you or uh, in Three Finger Betty? There's two, and in Unity there's two. Oh. So um, Unity, I am the rhythm guitarist. Three Finger Betty, I am the rhythm guitarist. Oh jeez. So, I, I don't play too many leads. Like, John plays you're, all the... You're the Malcolm Young. <laughs> yeah. Uh, like, John plays a lot of shreddy solos in Three Finger Betty. So what my job is, is to play anything <clears throat> in between the singing and soloing that I want to. So that's where I get my freedom. And I'm cool with that, because it... Uh, like you said, um, instead of just playing eight power chords in a row, now I can play eight power chords with an alternating palm mute to non-palm mute. A little to, feather in there somewhere, you to know. To match the drums a little bit. And yeah. Like Clint and I had played together in a band in high school, so we were like no stranger to playing with one another, but our styles are kind of hooked together, and he's really good at kind of morphing to like fit whatever band is trying to do what, because Clint's in like six or seven bands <laughs> or something. So like we were going to try and do a, a gig coming up <clears throat> um this weekend or maybe it was practice but we couldn't because he was like going to be in st louis recording with another band so <laughs> so he's he's busy he's a busy guy and he's wow. one of those dudes that's got double kick five six seven toms uses the whole kit Jeez. the whole day i mean it's like nico mcbrain in a punk band it's pretty, oh. it's pretty wild yeah so a punk band usually has like a little four-piece kit yeah yeah like yeah you, know? you only got two toms maybe like, yeah yeah i but, remember playing in the well it's the that's the poor house now but um it was the unicorn back nice. then or whatever yep i remember that and uh phil carlson um he ran the place and we were in rutland one night <clears throat> playing the fireman's ball i think and uh he he approached us and he's like i want you to play at my bar and i'm like okay and he says i want you cheaper than any other bar has hired you and, <laughs> and he goes what's the cheapest show you played and i said well 300 bucks you know he goes okay 
I'll give you 299 And I was like, okay, Phil. Okay. <laughs> so he says, I want you to play inside. And I'm like, well, there ain't enough room in that. Yeah, place. yeah. That place so is we, tiny. We set up a five-piece band in that little spot at the end of the bar where they got like a dartboard and like the back door where you go out yeah. to smoke or yep. whatever. I had my, my bass drum, a ride cymbal, snare, and hi-hat. That's all I had. And uh, everybody else just had their... We're squeezed in there like sardines. Yep. But we get down to their first set, and there is a tray of shots. <laughs> yeah, this is for the band. I'm like, 299 and all we can drink? And we just, I mean, there was like people buying us beers all night long. And yep. he ended up giving us like $400, $500 that night anyway. So it was like, nice. wow, Phil. Yeah. I mean, that is one of the benefits. I have been to shows where it's like you agree to take less, and then at the end they're like, oh, you guys freaking brought it. Here's more money. You know, like I really appreciate, you know, like we didn't realize everyone's going to A, love it this much, B, come in, hang out the whole night, drink, you know. So yeah. if you can make the bar money, the, you know, the bar owner is your best friend. Well, you were talking to Lance. Um, he said something about paying to play, or you asked him if he. Yeah. And usually they're, I mean, I've never paid to play but it's like you get a you set up a flat rate yep and uh uh we played the pole in for um it, it was up in Britt, iowa and it was very a uh, west side of town and it was during hobo days and we played there for two nights in a row and at the end of the the end of the second night you know the gal behind the bar she's like well okay we'll give you six hundred dollars in cash we'll give you seven hundred dollars in check and i'm like um, well, we agreed on 700. Well, we'll give you $600 cash or $700 in a check. And I'm like, well, we're going to want the check, of course, but can you cash the, cause usually they'll cash the check there. Yep. No, we can't cash it. So I'm like, well, I got five hungry mouths to feed here. I mean, everybody yeah, wants to fill up. The everybody's tanks. like, well, you know, we got enough. Well, we'll be all right. So before we ever got back to Thor, um, uh, my girlfriend at the time got a call that the bar burned down. Oh. Right, right after we left, the bar burned down. And the check bounced, and it bounced all my checks that I had, because I deposit my in my account yep. in the bank, and it overdraft, overdraft. I was like, what the hell? Because the check bounced. Yep. We had to take him to court. Oh, gosh. Yeah, and Dean Matoon, our guitar player, put on a suit and a tie and all this stuff. He, he represented us in court, and it turns out that these guys were like embezzling money out of the bar and all this uh. stuff. I was like... Holy crap! That's why you wanted to give us a check for seven hundred or six hundred cash because you put the rest of the cash in your pocket. You know exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. It, you run across shady crap like that, and it does happen, especially in the music scene. I feel like almost no matter what entertainment uh, sector you are in, somebody's going to try and take advantage of that. Whether yeah. or not you're an artist, comedian, uh, I mean, professional wrestler musician you it's like the nine volt battery story bingo yeah. yeah except in reverse because the guy that you're there to play for is yelling at you for yeah. something well like i watched the bio on van halen and uh they were the ones that said no brown m&ms and they oh. put it toward the end of the writer you know and if they'd show up in there because people would say m&ms if there was brown m&ms in there they would trash the place because <laughs> then they would know that people did not read their writer oh that makes sense yeah i mean I was like, wow. Okay, so if the place is trashed, you know that they weren't reading the writer. Yeah. I When I was first started going to like indie shows and, and jumping on the indie scene and going to like uh, Des Moines when I was like 15, 16 to watch bands play, 
um, one of the bands that I had seen uh, at different places around Iowa every time they'd come through. They were from Atlanta originally, and uh, some of the guys were from the Boston area before that. But long story short, uh, they showed up at a place and were treated pretty poorly, and they trashed the place uh, oh. because of it. And it was one of those deals where it was like, I'm like a 16-year-old kid, like, oh, this rock band's like just trashing this place. This is so crazy. It's the <laughs> stuff you see on TV or whatever. And they were just like, check this out. And they like took video of them trashing the place. And it's like, why would you take video of yourself trashing someone else's place? Wow. But uh, yeah, I mean, I've never trashed any place. I've been treated so good at almost every single place I've been to. Um, but as far as, like you said, going to pay to play shows, like, is that being treated well to have to pay to get your band to go on a show? Eh, I don't know. But the, the argument for that is that, like, let's say, and I'm just throwing out, for instance, like, let's say John Five's coming to Des Moines, which he is, I believe. So, like, John Five, he's a good guitarist. He played with uh, Rob Zombie, Marilyn Manson, um, you know, so it was, he's got some, some clout. clout for yeah. sure. And if people know this and there's, like, a bunch of guitarists in Des Moines, whose band's going to open up for it? Is it going to be the buddy of the guy that runs the bar? Well, that's not lucrative for him. So what he says is sell some tickets for me and you can play the show. Whoa. And so if you don't sell enough tickets, you've got to buy the tickets outright from them in the end. So it's not always a pay to play scenario, but sometimes it's like, here's the hook. Yeah. 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 If you sell 50 tickets, that's cool. You get to keep all the extra money. But if you only sell two tickets, you you're, gotta you're make, choking on yeah, it. You gotta make up the extra there. So that happens sometimes, and that's how a lot of the pay-to-play shows go, which is not a bad thing when you think of the exposure. But there's always the argument: I can't put exposure in my bank account, right? You know. So I mean, I've played shows for nothing. I've played shows well, for for a while there with Planet Rock. It seemed like four or five shows out of the year would be, hey, you want to play this benefit? And Terry would be, yes, yes, we yes. will. And you know, you drive an hour and a half to play for an hour and a half for nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it after doing that four or five times, you're like, well, you know, what's this benefit benefiting? I mean, does all the money go toward all the? I mean, let's let's. I want to see the checks and balances here. You know, yep. and just make sure it's all going legit. You know. Yep. Yeah, like a, you got to make sure that whoever's running the benefit is actually going to take the money that is being raised to benefit whatever they say it's going to be benefiting. Right. So yeah, it's it is tough. The benefit, the benefit. The best part about that though is if you go play a benefit show an hour and a half away, you're going to a place where people are showing up with money. Yep. That are going to get to see you. So right. maybe there might be somebody out there that owns a bar or wants to hire you for another gig. And so we've you- got a shit ton of gigs like that. Like. Uh- like with Caveman, when we first started out, we didn't didn't have internet, didn't have cell phones and crap like that. Uh, we just hopped in Dean's 76 Oldsmobile and grabbed an acoustic <laughs> guitar and we'd, okay, we're going north. So we'd hit these different bars and get out, the, just walk in the bar with a guitar and just, hey, we're with this band and, hmm. well, you guys got a tape? No, but we'll play some songs for you. That's awesome. Yeah, and we did that over at Rutland at Nuts Landing and... And you couldn't even hear because I took my guitar in there, and me and Sean Wilson, our old singer, and we just we're gonna we're gonna and I I got the key to the city of Rutland. As <laughs> nice. a matter of fact, presented to the cave band by the fire department. That's awesome. Yes, and uh, for years I could walk in there, slap that key down on the bar, and just drink for free all night long. That's crazy. Oh yeah, I still got that. I haven't tried it for a while, but so I know I know Marchant still runs it. So so you're doing like door to door rocking. Yeah, just, I mean, just to you get just, people to see who you were. Yeah, because I mean. Like I said earlier, uh, 
we didn't have a poster or a picture on the poster, so it was all word of mouth, you know, yep. cave band, cave band, you know, and that it worked. That it, might be beneficial just, though, like the mystique of the band. The mystique, yes. You know, once it comes again, comes back to that. Yeah. You know, so there is something to be said for said for like overexposure though too, which I feel like in today's day and age of the internet, there is a decent amount of overexposure of topics. Well, you get you get a picture of something. You got to look like, are you going to smile? Are you going to look tough? Are you going to look sexy? Or I mean, what clothes that was am I that wasn't wear? even in, that wasn't even a factor because I just draw a picture. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it makes sense though too because I mean, you always hear about those cliche band. Uh, album covers where it's like one guy is staring off in the distance and then like one he's guy he's the mysterious one yeah yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly the guy with his hair he's kind of doing this he's the sexy guy so we're gonna yeah. find a beach and we're gonna I'm gonna crouch down and you're gonna stare way off to the right you <laughs> yeah. know and like it's it's exactly how it goes though um but like I've been, we played up in Boat at the, th- the Three Railer before it was Big John's, and now it's the Red Lantern yep um, but I had a bunch of people all gather up at the end of the night to take a picture because I want to do like a Sergeant Pepper oh, nice. poster. Cool. So there's all the crowd in there and all this stuff. And I took the picture and then I cut the picture out after I took the picture and just morphed the same people uh-huh. back around. And then I just ran it through a copy machine. And yeah, uh-huh. it, it looks like there's twice as many people in the picture. Uh-huh. And there was probably 10 people in the picture to begin with. You know, kind of <laughs> crouched down and these pistons looking at Because there was no organization. It was at 2 o'clock in the morning and everybody's drunk. And, okay, get over here for a picture. <laughs> Got over there and click. Okay, that's good. And the next time we played, it was like this poster. And there's like 30 people in the in the poster. You know? <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. It's kind of a good idea. That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, I mean... I guess I never thought too much about that from I never because I didn't have any exposure to like ha- being in a band pre-internet or being in a band you know pre all of these tools that everybody has at their disposal like it's so much easier to find a guitar and gear and cheap stuff and yes and, and to promote yourself using the internet and every other but once again how do you know what it sounds like yeah. I want to I want to touch it and taste it and feel it and 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 just I I want that you know like yep. I, I'd rather buy a symbol off the rack. True. At a store. Then it's so I can put my stick on it, ting, 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 and okay. Yeah. You know, but... Uh, that's that's a good argument, though, especially for cymbals, because, like, um, the drum set I got behind you is just a cobbled together one, but it's, like, it's got good cymbals mixed with crappy ones. And I'll tell you what, you hit one of them crappy ones. And it goes... Whoosh. Yeah, it <laughs> hurts. It hurts to hit that thing. And, uh, you know, it's... it's Crappy cymbals were such a weird thing to me, because it's just like, well, this is only, like barely twice as much for this other symbol but it's like they bend and they crack and yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i mean symbols are definitely something that you get your money's you get what you pay for oh shit i bought a i bought a ride symbol from jeff foreman um in 1990 Uh and i bought paid 90 bucks for it just 22 inch deep ride Mm -hmm. and it's uh, what i was always looking for in a ride symbol is raindrops Okay. You, t- t- you know, you get on the edge of the symbol and it just sounds like raindrops. Oh, and yeah. uh, one of the tunes, the cave band songs, remains to be seen. It just it sounds like raindrops. Oh, cool. Yes, and it just and the bell is when you want to ting it, it it's it's right there. And uh, you can listen to some of these songs, and the 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 drum set just sounds great. And uh, the whole thing we recorded down in Otho. Which is very unique because he has a two-inch tape machine. If you've yep. ever recorded there, yep, I've been in there while people are recording before. He does the actual cut and paste. Yep, not with a mouse, but with a razor blade and tape. Yep, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's it's wild to go down there and see how everything down there is run. Um, 
uh, as far as like multi-tracking things and how he does it with with analog, tape. yeah, all analog. It's pretty wild. I, you know, and that's something else that has to be said about like technology doesn't always lend itself to your advantage. Like it's not like analog guarantees is always going to sound better. Like if you recorded digital and analog, the analog will sound better, guaranteed, no questions asked. It's a lot more work to do things analog. You hear, a, you hear a, you hear the, you hear the tape. Yep. It's like a, you hear air flowing, you know, in digital, it's just like silence and boom, yep. you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've been over that a little bit in uh, one of the other podcasts with another guy where it was, we were talking about like uh, the digital guitar units everyone's going to. Yeah. Um, and those things sound amazing, but it's exactly like you said, it's, it's complete silence and then there's your sound, you know, right. and it's, that sounds great if that's what you're going for. But at the same rate, I also don't necessarily enjoy that too much because it, takes away it sounds too manufactured yeah yeah you know yeah um, like uh if you li- like then, I, rather than a tube say a, a tube amp yeah yeah, yeah yep. so uh another one was like living and dying solely by a metronome is, yeah is another one that's like it's great for practice it's great to have that be the basis for what you're going for but if you're living and dying only by this thing it takes a lot of the life it out of sounds what's homogenized you know Bingo. like this band uh the rocksters um when I, I worked at Iowa Hydraulics in 1989, okay, and uh, this band from Lorenz called the Rocksters, it had Matt Stubbs' dad Bill in oh, there, cool. and uh, Glenn Samuelson, and uh, Jeff Foreman played drums, um, and Craig Aaron's, and uh, Glenn Samuelson took me aside because he was a big Taj Mahal fan and and just different kind of like free. He listened to a lot of free and, oh, and nice. spirit and stuff like that, and he says. Listen how this this drummer is behind the beat. You know, there's three parts of the beat. You can either be ahead of the beat, on the beat, or behind the beat. Yep. And I never really listened to it, but you can tell, like, uh, Ringo Starr is a, a good example that plays on the backside of the beat. Yes. And, like, um, the Mike Mangini of uh, Dream Theater yep. on the beat. Okay. You know, yep. and a lot of the punk guys they're like ahead of the beat just a little yep. bit you know but yep. the blues players it's you can tell because it's like the metronome clicks and then the drum hits yep click boom you know but it's just so it's so that, close that pocket that right that people sit in right i didn't really think too much about that until somebody said if you listen to led zeppelin hard enough you can find the drum and the guitar almost switching off and on between who's going in and out of the pocket yes more often than yes not. yes and um it's I like how you broke it down too. Punk people are almost ahead of the beat. Why? Because they're pushing the envelope. They yes. Want, they want to go. Yep. Uh, we're going fast, and this is how fast we're going. And we're and you're always chasing to go fast. It's like Green Green Day. You know, there's a lot of that kind of stuff. They're they're just like, if you ever tried to play American Idiot. Uh no. Dun, 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 it's just like the bass drums is boom boom boom. Yep. Dun, 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 and it's like whoa, because by the end of that tune, you're like, <sighs> yes. <sighs> and it's it's not that it's they're just on top of it you know yeah that's exa- that's a good way to say it. you're yeah. you're right on top of it yes yep. um but yeah as far as like with blues you almost want to be kind of like meandering behind the beat a little it's, bit it, it makes it sound just so much better you yeah. know it, it's it, it makes the beat like a whole beat instead of just like it i don't know it spreads it out some yeah exactly it gives everybody a certain spot to hit the note when they need to hit it and everybody gets to have their tiny little space even if it's all like squished into a microsecond yes you know? it, it's it matters i mean if you ever listen to uh led zeppelin three since i've been loving you um, uh yeah bet i have but uh, 
boom boom i mean it's 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 in the it's in the record pile over yes, there somewhere and you can if you listen to it closely you can hear the bass drum pedal squeaking oh you never heard that before uh uh-uh. it's going heat 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 you can hear it in the very back of the track but it's there that's cool and the drums are just they're behind the beat and that little squeak, it just, it makes, you can hear it. If you're listening for it, you can hear it. I'm going to have to, I got something to do tonight. Yes. <laughs> and you'll go, wow, why didn't I notice that before? You know, because you can, heat, 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 heat. But you don't, you don't notice. And I read that in an article one time that, that uh, you can hear the squeak in the bass drum pedal. I'm like, no way. They yeah. wouldn't put this out like that. And by God, it's there. That's crazy. It is there. That's awesome. I mean, something has to be said about the way that they tracked and recorded everything, though, because they were pretty unique for their time, where it's oh, just yeah. like, we're going to record the drums at the top of a staircase, and it's like, what are you doing? That was like, just a couple tunes, though. I yeah. mean, that, that, other than that, they'd mic. I, I watched a, a video on how to tune your bass drum, because I've, there is a thousand ways to skin a cat. Oh, uh, yeah. And the the thing that Bonham did with his bass drum is a lot of people will cut the hole in the in the front bass drum head. Yep. He didn't cut the hole in the front bass drum head because the drum didn't come out of the factory like that because your toms don't have a hole in the bottom. Yep. Your snare don't have a hole in the bottom. So yep. Makes sense. The bass drum, it if you have a shallower bass drum, it lets the air hit both heads and that creates your big, big boom. Yep. If you got a if you got a hole in there, it's gonna push it past there and it's gonna be more a flat sound. It's not a boom, it's more of a poo. Yep. Poo. You know, and like the toms, you can make the toms come alive just by, I mean, like I said, there's a hundred different ways to tune a drum, but there's only like one way to tune a guitar. Yeah. Well, (laughs) unless you want to go to like open tunings, et cetera, et cetera. But you're, you're exactly right. Yeah. I was uh, actually looking up the other day, uh, people with uh, tuning guitars to different, I can't remember exactly what it was called, but uh, this guy was like adding frets, like micro frets behind it in front of things because like the natural harmonic of your third... Micro frets. Yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I could probably find it. I'll find it for you after the interview, but it, this guy figures out that like, and everybody's known this, that the guitar is like a, an imperfect invention where like if you want to play the third of any chord, it's probably not going to sound good because of where they actually, the straight fret doesn't lend itself to where a third would be harmonically over a note as far as uh, if you were to split it up in exact spaces, it would be here, but harmonically, it's actually a little bit lower of a note. Whoa. So this guy figures out that if I had... You are talking to a drummer, right? Yeah. Jeez! <laughs> so, so this is just weird stuff. That was, he, that was pretty heavy there. But he figures out that if he adds a, a little micro fret down here to lower the note just a little bit, wow. um, that it will sound more rich and full. And it's to the point where like there's different tuning patterns that people have found to figure out a way to make this work better or like they've got uh i think they're called like true temperament frets where they're like wiggly lines instead of straight frets Hmm. and and that's to lend itself to that but i mean the guitar is like literally built as an imperfect invention and has never been yeah who invented that anyway i mean uh, i don't know put some metal strings across this neck and we're gonna pluck it and it's gonna make a a pitch that's so (laughs) mind-blowing to me too like uh it, how a drum, pi- the drums, that's easy. You but, hit, it, hit, this, hit this thing with a stick. Yeah, <laughs> everything's still pretty at its basic, though. Like, you got wood with skin stretched across it, hit it with a piece of wood. Right. Okay, and this is just like wood with metal strings stretched across. Before that, it was plastic, or before plastic, it was 
something cat gut gut. Cat gut Hell, yeah. I don't know what it was, but horse hair. I don't yeah, know. so they're stretch that across there instead and be like, yeah, let's just do this, and then you just strum ding, it. Ding, 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 yep. <laughs> yeah, that's all the way back to like the hurdy gurdy days when people had those like boxes they would twist and they would push levers down and it would push horse hair against a string that was. There's a gal that lives down by the powerhouse, and she has a in that uh, uh, Manford Man calliope. You know what a calliope is? No. It is a. It's made in Germany, and it's. It looks like a symbol. It's got a, a like a twenty-two inch ride symbol, and it's got all these slots carved in there or punched in there, and it goes around. It's 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 very unique because it's like from the early twenties or something like that, and you put your five cents in, and you grab this big metal disc, and you stick it in there, and you shut the door, and it's all wood and everything and it goes on these bells every little every little slot and there's ding 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 as the thing oh, spins okay. around it's 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 neat it works on like a hammer type thing you know oh, that's pretty wild i've got a uh a 1916 wind up record player is it one of the ones with a can that they play from a can or is it one of the ones that's like one of the like old 100 plus gram records that they it's play. a it's 78 it's yeah, a big the, thick yeah thick, there you go that's yeah. the one i was thinking and of. when i was younger i used them for frisbees <laughs> and just busted so many of them things but after getting because I, I helped move the neighbors out of their house and the first thing i saw when they asked me to come in i was like oh look at that it's a wind-up record player that's you know? cool and i'm like i hope they don't want this you know and and at the end of it all they're like well we're leaving and anything else left in here it's all yours and i'm like wow why did you say that but the record, that's the first thing I took out of there. And I'm like, it didn't work. Uh-huh. It didn't work right off. The, so I'm like, damn, but it's got, it's got a, uh, the arm is like, a, it's called a tone arm. It's a Cheney talking machine is what it is. Okay. And uh, I could Google it for you and you'd go, wow, you got one of those. That's pretty wild. And you, and it's got these counterweights in the bottom and there's, it's got a wood horn and uh, the, the, the tone arm is what they call it, is like basically a nail and it sticks on the record because mm-hmm. when they used to cut records, they cut records. Yep. And that's, and you, you put the the tone arm on there and, and, you know, and then all of a sudden it starts playing. But I don't, I don't know the recording process they used back then. I don't either. But there's no volume knob on this. It's just, it goes through the tone arm and it grows bigger and then it goes into a diaphragm and then it comes out this horn and there's one screw in the bottom of that that's the only screw i found on this whole thing it's all handmade wood <laughs> yeah that's but the bad wild. thing is okay i was like finally it started working cuz i just messed around with it enough that it, and oiled it up a little bit here and got stuff moved cuz they probably hadn't even turned that thing for 30 40 years you know uh-huh so i got wound up put a record on there i was like wow all right didn't know what song. I think it was Blue Moon or something like that. <laughs> and sat down. Bob it a bob a bob a dog dog. No, no, no. This is like way before <laughs> Old that. Blue Moon. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I'm I'm like popped a beer, lit up a cigarette. Song's over. And I'm like, oh crap. I gotta get it. flip the record, wind it up again. <laughs> it's like but that was high fidelity like back in nineteen sixteen. This is like Alpine yeah. stereo, you know? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And it, and I don't even know because they had like can you guys sing into the can? Yeah. You know, kind of like... Kinda it's like, like, oh, brother, where art thou kind yeah, of stuff going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah, It's like... But I don't I don't know the recording, because I listen to on uh, the Iowa Public Radio on Friday and Saturday nights. I got jazz on Friday after midnight. Yes. And blues on Saturday night. Yeah, Bob Doerr. 
Yes. Yes. Oh and my gosh, that's some good stuff. You, you Bob Dorr, if you're listening, I want you on my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's been around the block, dude. He knows his stuff. Yes. All right. So you're, he, li- you're listening to jazz and blues. The blues. You'll hear this guy playing piano and just killing it, just killing it. And you can hear it's recorded on a wood floor because you, you can hear the guy stomping on the wood floor at the same time, and he just just jamming away on this piano. And I'm like, one guy, one instrument, one microphone. I mean, it just unreal. And when you had a whole band, you put the vocalist closest and the trumpet players over here and the drummer back here because he might be louder or something. But one microphone. There's no overdubbing. Yeah. I mean, the uh, Beatles, Beatles, well, Les Paul actually came up with the overdubbing and then the Beatles kind of took it, took it to the it, extreme. Yeah, yeah. Took it to another level, you know? Yeah. But Les Paul was doing that back in like the early 50s. Mm-hmm. If you ever watch anything on him and, and um, Mary. Mary? Yeah. Les Paul and Mary, whatever her name is. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> yeah, she played a killer SG. I mean, he played the Les Paul and she played a SG, and she's a wicked player under her, because she could do everything he could do. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, geez. It, just unreal. And husband and wife team, and they'd, they'd hit a couple notes, and then they'd hit this record, and it just, it like a, that, God, my daughter went and saw him in concert. One guy, and he just hits a button, and then it records, and live. Uh-huh. Who is this guy? He's a red-headed guy from England. Um, uh, oh, my gosh. Are you talking Ed Sheeran? Yes. Don't. Yes. D- nobody hate me because I know that. I, well, I mean, I would have said it, too, but <laughs> this guy is making a fuck ton of money. Yep. Because he don't have a band. Nope. He's up there doing it by himself. And I'm like, Jojo, it's fake. It's fake. But, Dad, d- I'm like... Boy, his road crew's got to be like what two guys, <laughs> you know? Here, get my guitar and you grab the microphone, and oh, watch out for my foot pedal. I need that, you know. <laughs> it, it, it's it's fake. I would rather have I would rather see somebody playing the actual instrument. That's true. I'm more impressed with that than because then if you're gonna fuck it up, you're gonna fuck it up good. Yeah. You ever been on stage and and somebody just totally bit the dust and you're like. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It's it's almost more fun and endearing that way, especially even as another musician to watch another musician. It's not like you're out there headhunting, watching, waiting for him to fuck up. But it's it's kind of like only you and I know because we're musicians that you messed up, and so you just kind of wink at him. Unless it's a big one. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like there's true. this a YouTube video of um, Michael Jackson gets mad at Slash, and yeah. they're they're on Michael Jackson's stage, and they're doing a. Um, Oh, what was the song? Uh, it's either Beat It or or Billie Jean or something like that. Yep. End of the song, it's like, boom. The whole band ends and Michael's doing his whole jumping down. Okay, the band stops. Slash keeps playing. <laughs> I mean, he's playing. He's soloing. He's just wailing away. And Michael Jackson, he goes with it for a little bit. And he's like, and then the band just starts going again. And then, boom. He's like, hey. Hey! And Slash just walks away from him and starts playing guitar, and, and the crowd just going nuts because they're like, "Ha ha! He's not listening to Michael." It was it's hilarious, dude. And he's like, "Hey, hey!" Slash is just jamming away a cigarette in his mouth, and he's that's hilarious. I'm going. I bet that was his last show with Michael Jackson. This is my show, man. For some reason, I just remembered uh, microtonal guitars is what they're called. So that's what the ones are with the weird frets and stuff like that. I'll show you a little video quick uh, before we take off today. 
I, we've got an hour and 40 minutes in now. Uh, we should probably listen to a couple tunes. We definitely could. Um, I will listen to them off the air because I, I, the way I've done this so far is I don't want to post something oh. that will get flagged for any reason, either on my account or somebody else's account. So like, okay. if I if I share music that I don't own, it will get flagged on YouTube and then I don't have the rights to the video anymore, technically. So we're making a video. Uh, uh, this will be put onto a video. There's oh. no, there's no cameras here that are recording <laughs> us right now, so we're safe. But uh, it, that's that's just the way I've always done it. I've never put anybody else's music oh, on okay. here yet. Unfortunately, yeah. uh, that's just the way I've done it. I've I haven't found a good way to do it yet, and that's the reason I haven't done it yet. But yeah, well, back in the day, it was like uh, when ASCAP first started coming around, you know, and. And a lot of bars, they were having a problem with, you know, you can't play this song, you can't play this song, and all this stuff. And I'm like, we're just going to, we're not stealing anybody's anything. This has been done for years and years and years, you know? Like, we've, uh, this is a funny one. Uh, We played with a, oh, they do Journey and Sticks, and uh, it's a a cover band. Uh, They had them out at uh, Sheldon Park here on your, um, this this year or last no, year? No, no, no. It was it was it was a couple of years for uh uh River Fest or something like that. Sorry. <laughs> Arch Archangel. Or Arch Ally. Arch Ally. Arch Ally. Okay, yes, yes. yes. And yes. we're Planet Rock is opening for him, you know, we did some journey stuff and we did a couple different and um they got out of their vehicle or we're doing sound check and they're like, Okay, you guys know that uh, you can't do any sticks, journey or Ario Speedwagon in your set and I'm like why not? Well, we do that. And I'm like, so? Yeah. <laughs> we're I mean, going to be here first. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, you don't want to be upstaged or something? Or, I mean, are we going to, how do you know we're going to do it better? We might do, we might kill it, you know, yep. you know, whatever. And, but that was absolutely, you couldn't do that. Couldn't do that. So I'm like, okay. And like a cave band, the first couple of years we played the rally, we played with a band out of uh, Minneapolis called Crow. Okay. And they were late 60s, early 70s, man. Killer tunes. Killer tunes. Black Sabbath did a re- remake of one of their songs, uh, Evil Woman. It was on their first album in okay. the British release. Okay. But it was not on the first album, Black Sabbath, Black Sabbath, the American release. All right. But it's Evil Woman, don't you play your games with me? Sounds ever, familiar. Yeah. Well, Crow wrote that song, okay. but they were on the same record label. Okay. So they tossed these songs around. Okay. Why don't you sing this one, Ozzy, and see how you might, do you guys do it, you know? Yeah. And uh, Cave Band did these couple Crow songs, but we weren't going to play them because we were playing after Crow, and Crow was incredible. Yeah, yep. You know? And they're, they're older guys by this time. It's, it's the mid-90s or whatever, and we get done playing, it's like 4 o'clock in the morning, and the band Crow is still there backstage, and they're watching us because they were like, you guys are pretty good, you know? Yep. Well, they're calling for an encore. What are you guys going to do? And I said, we only, we only got two tunes left, man, and it's Cottage Cheese and it's it's Evil Woman. And it's two Crow tunes. Yeah. So go ahead and play them. Because the lead singer, Dave, he says, go ahead and play them. See what uh-huh. you do. Yeah, so we start playing Evil Woman. Mm-hmm. And the band come the the drummer was like on the floor toms and he's hitting the cymbals and stuff like that and and uh the singer got up and grabbed the microphone from our singer and he's they both we did it just like crow did 
Oh, that's crazy. So here's the band that wrote the song, and they're up there playing it with us. That's awesome. You know, uh, the year before, I think Iron Butterfly was there. So the the drum set that I have has been Inagata Devita has been actually played on it by. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's which wasn't no big thrill because the guys got out of the van. They're like, "Oh, well, this is a trip, man. This is <laughs> this is groovy." And I was like, "Whoa, man! You guys are like." Whoa. Frozen in time. Yes, very much so. Because, <laughs> I mean, if you listen to Inagata DeVita, it's a great big drum solo, but it's like... It's nothing like, you know, yeah. something like massively cool or something, you know, but I don't know. It was just the... Inagata Devita has been played on my drum set, so that's pretty sweet. Yeah, yeah. Nobody's ever played Inagata Devita on any of my stuff, so, <laughs> so you got that over me for sure. Yeah, and that's the other cool thing about playing those shows like that, where it's just like I'm going to play with these guys, and we're going to stay off of their tunes, and they're going to stay off of ours, and then it magically happened that well, we have to play some of your tunes now. Yeah, and you got to play with them. That's friggin' mind blowing. We played this show over in Soldier, and uh, Soldier, Iowa. It's very on the it's over by Council Bluffs and whatnot. And uh, it was three bands, and we got there at like six or seven in the morning, you know, because we played a night a show up in uh, Laverne the night before, and me and my singer Sean, we just drove on down to Soldier in the truck. So we thought, okay, we'll get there at like nine or ten, we'll start setting up. We got there at like seven. There, the stages ain't even there yet, <laughs> you know. So they're like, well, do you want to set up across from the bar? You want to set up at the end of the block? And I'm like, we're gonna set up where the beer is because that's a big fail by every. Every street dance, they put the band way down there. Uh, yeah, uh, the beer and the band are two blocks apart. Yes, and they close off all. And yeah, so you get, get five people in front of the band and forty-eight. Four, yeah, it's just, yeah. I told yeah. it's dumber and shit. So I'm like, I want to set up across from the bar. Yep, you know. And there was a band that played before us, and they, you know, they were decent. And they were cocky as hell. They were cocky. They're from Omaha. I can't remember the the band before us is from Omaha, and the band after us called Monkey's Uncle. They mm-hmm. were from Omaha, and the band that played before us, they're like, "Oh, you guys think you're all good and blah blah blah." So we're like, "We're gonna blow you guys' doors off just mm-hmm. right off the bat." So I mean, we came right out with Sergeant Pepper once again because it's when we went into that get by with a little help. They they're just like, "Oh, oh, wow," and. Then, Two songs into our set, we just blew away their whole set for yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And this monkey's uncle, they did stuff like uh, uh, piano man and and just like very easy to digest songs. So yep. it wasn't it just like easy stuff and no punch, no punch yep. to it. And yep. I've, I've always wanted to be the band that just comes out and just kicks you in the fucking head and. Then you just walk away, and they go, "What? What the hell just happened?" Yeah, man. I mean, there's a there's a definitely a benefit to being in that band where it's just like we're gonna come in, we're gonna burn it down, and we're gonna leave. Yeah, you know, and uh, take no prisoners, man. Yeah, and it's not like you're trying to show anybody up, but there is also you this confidence. There is your... also the little bit of the like, "Hey, follow this." Yes, you know exactly because it's yeah, and it's not like okay. It's not an ego thing. It's no. more like a neener, neener, neener. Yeah. I, I view it as like, I'm going to raise the bar up to here because yeah. this is where I think it yeah. should be. Not that I think the bar is raised up to here, but this is what we're shooting for. Yeah. And this is what I think everyone here should shoot for. Yep. You know, especially if you're one of the first bands or a middle band, like if you're going to middle it up, it's just like, well, the middle band would probably be the hardest pot to do it from because you're at the mercy of the first band and the last band because it's kind of like was the first band slower or whatever and do we need to adjust our set do you want to do this or that or do you just 
just go come on, do what you do you know yep. i mean that's i found like our old sound guy he was such a guru with this i mean you you get wrapped up in what the other guys are doing then you might go well maybe we should do that or no you just you you do what you do you're a self-contained unit and you just you do what you do and you just come out and nail it and own it you know if you got if you if you got confidence you you can get up there and just like i i've the show that we did with a hairball up at the clay county event center cool get out there and, and it's that's a massive building and we're doing a sound check, you know, it's before they'd already got set up and all their crap was set up and and had my little measly drum set out there, just set right on the stage, but it's a big stage, you know. And Mikey's out there getting the sound down and it sounded just like when the levee breaks. Because I'm I'm like just kicking that as he's doing a sound check. Uh-huh. And the drums just came alive, you know, and there was nobody in that room. And uh we had a backstage area and some food and all that stuff, and it's like Lady came back, okay, it's time for you guys to go on. So me and Pearson, we start walking the stage, and the stage is up like five feet, and and we can hear a crowd, you know, and this is we were only back here for like an hour. And I walk up on stage and Pearson stopped right when he got behind the amps. So I'm just I just thought he was right next to me and I'm walking out and I get behind the drum set. People start clapping. I'm like, Holy shit, I'm standing here by myself. Yeah. And I looked out, and it was just like an ocean of people. Uh-huh. And I'm like, holy crap. That's awesome. And the, then the rest of the band come, and everybody just started clapping before we ever touched the, a note. You That's know? awesome. And we opened up with a um, Long Time by uh, Boston. Nice. Uh, foreplay and Long, play long yeah. Time. Yeah. Dun, dun. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it from if you start with that song because we played with Leonard Skinner down at the celebration. Oh, cool! Started with that one, and you 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 own it right because if if you're gonna nail that one, you're gonna nail everything after that because that's a very difficult piece of music to work on. Yeah, there's a lot going on in that. Yes, yeah, yes, that's cool. Yes. So, uh, as far as like anybody that's trying to digest what we've been talking about for almost two hours, it's pretty, it's pretty much, you got to go out there and own it. Yeah. You got to go out there and own it and do, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Do what you're doing. If you feel confident, you could play, keep your hands to yourself, but if you play it better than Georgia satellites, yeah, I mean, you're going to, you're going to own it. I mean, that's true. I, I think that's really good advice. That's probably going to be my, I try and take away something from every podcast where I talk with somebody and that, that is probably the most solid advice that, I mean, even me, I'm not even like a a new musician, but I still think that's good advice for me, you know, to just be like, Hey, you gotta, you gotta have confidence. Cause literally what it came down to is I just didn't play guitar for a lot of years. Cause I wasn't confident, confident enough to stand in front of people. And but do you it. have played guitar for a lot of years. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So <laughs> So like now, now where I'm like confident enough to stand in front of people, it's not like I'm like, oh, this isn't as hard as it, as I thought it was originally. But like you said, if you own it, if you go out there and own it, everyone's gonna love it. You know? Yeah, and I mean, like, uh, like I said, like when you like with Caveman, we didn't ever have a set list. We had four pieces of cardboard. We just lay on the stage and it had every song on there. Mm-hmm. And if you if anybody could pick any song at any time. Oh, nice. Yeah. So the I mean, it was like, but if you pick one, you had to pick three. Okay. So if you're picking the, oh, I want to play this one first. Okay, what's the next two? <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, I don't want to do this one, this one. 
okay. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and it did, it was never, ever set in stone what we were going to play because, say, Chip felt like playing Needle in the Spoon or something, you know, yep. halfway, Needle in the Spoon. That's a song that, Leonard Skinner's song that not everybody knows. Yeah. But it's a kick-ass tune. And everybody plays Sweet Home Alabama, Freebird, blah, blah, blah. Yep. Needle in the Spoon. Yep. You know, or Simple Man. You know, that's it's overdone. Everybody plays Simple Man. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, Chip, okay, I want to play Needle in the Spoon. Okay, what's the next two after that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. Then, and like, we're, kinda... we're calling this out as the set, is, as the song is going on. So our singer, Sean, he's looking at the crowd. He's doing his thing. He wouldn't know what we're playing until the first note hit. Yep. And it was a surprise to him all the time. Yeah, that's cool, though. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome, though. That keeps everybody fresh. Well, he used to color code like he'd put a blue spot, our first set, so he'd put a blue dot on the top of this paper. And But if, you, if you're ever on stage in a red light, it kills all that. So, yes. Yes. So your color coding is doing no good. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Seeing on stage is not always an easy thing that, that to be done, because I'll tell you what, like uh, I've got like lights on some of my my stuff, and that's how I light up my set lists for stuff, because if you, even if you have like black on white paper and all your set lists are on that and it's on the floor that's not always easy to see either the one on the cardboard it was black magic marker and it was big print i I could see it from sitting behind the drum set okay but i mean we played a thousand shows so i mean yeah you know what songs are on the cardboard we'd throw it out there anyway you know just because you'd have a brain fart somewhere during the night but we'd always know that we're closing with dreams i'll never see or or travel man beautiful loser because I have become so emotional. Even "Travel Man, Beautiful Loser" just got everything that any song has. It's got punchy. It's got slow. It's got romantic. It's got fast, and it just it's it takes the whole gamut of every song and just puts it in that one song. Yeah, I will. Like Bob Seger was always good for doing that with his oh, not, with his with his not greatest hits. Yeah, you know, like every one of. Bob Seger's Greatest Hits is like the most palatable album you can listen to. And then I think they had Bob Seger's Greatest Hits 2 came out. And, and, and Bob Seger's Greatest Hits 2 is like all those songs that you would maybe hear on the radio once every now and then. Sunspot. And it's just like, dude, this is awesome. You know, um, I used to smoke five packs Max of cigarettes, cigarettes a day. day. I love it. And, like, and, and even that, it's like he calls it out in the live version. This is an old Memphis song, yeah. so it's but still, it's just like one of those deals where it's like, God, this is this is some killer stuff yeah. he's got going on here. So, I, are are you a songwriter? Or? I am not a songwriter. Oh. I've written songs and they're not good, and I don't like them. <laughs> uh, that's as, that's as far I as really, it, it just it's it's come easy because the songs we did as a cave band and even with Planet Rock, like. Jeremy Pearson, he's he's not he he says I'll play whatever you want. I'm not a songwriter. I don't want to take the time to do it. I don't have any desire to even do it. You know, mm-hmm. and like like Ober, he's always thinking. He's got the gears going all the time. All the time. Or Bill, I mean, he can. He's just he's got a pad of paper when we're rehearsing, or just he'll it, something catchy will just. Oh wow, we can make a song out of that. Yeah, like the name of our band that we're going to call this uh, is People Like You. Okay. Yeah. So tonight, people like you. Yeah. That, that's actually a pretty good. It's it's hooky. Yeah. You know? it is. It's 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 so generic that it's it's cool. You exactly. Know? And it's it's like inviting almost. What band too. is there? Well, it's people it's like people you. People like you. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. um, we ain't no better. We ain't no worse than anybody. It's, it's just a, people like you. Yeah. That's that's you know that's good though too because like uh, like how'd you think up three finger Betty I mean what's what's up oh with that? gosh uh, that was there before I got to the band is and it I, naughty 
I I think <laughs> I I don't even know if I want to let the cat out of the bag. We've joked about we've joked about it a few times, but uh, there's many stories as to why Three Finger Betty is a band name and uh, whether or not it's a real person or whether or not it's a real thing. I'm intrigued. And uh, we've, like I said, we've debated leaking it on the internet as to what it is but it's kind of fun just to let it go oh shit. so we, oh wow we usually just don't. way to lead up to it and just <laughs> we usually just don't tell anybody it's just like i don't know oh, like, so you know the secret but uh to an extent yeah okay um as like if i had to say what the secret was i think it's literally just randomness but i also like i said i wasn't in the band when they decided on this i don't know if somebody had something in their mind as to what they were thinking when they decided this like our t-shirts are uh, a very uh, like ludicrously obese woman wearing a bikini uh, <laughs> on the front of our shirt and it's just like why i don't know and the other one is uh three fingers that are are wet <laughs> like and it's just like what are these like i don't know maybe somebody wanted a three finger whiskey and it spilled over onto their fingers we had a we had a caveman shirts made up and uh it was a caveman with a club mm-hmm. and pulling this gal by the hair mm-hmm. and said drag your old lady out to see the caveman huh yeah, yeah. pretty catchy actually and 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 our old singer wilson he's like you know why they're pulling her by the hair oh, yeah I've heard yeah <laughs> Do we want to let this out on the podcast? I think we'll. Uh, that might be another one we let go to mystery. <laughs> Google it. Oh man, that's a good old boy joke. That I've I've heard that one from. Uh, How do you make a drummer's car go faster? Take the domino sign off the top. <laughs> I was like, how do you get a musician to leave your front doorstep? Pay him for the pizza. <laughs> so there's there's a plenty of those out there for oh, sure. Had, yeah, how do you know the stage is level? Because the drummer's drooling out of both sides of his mouth. <laughs> I've never heard that one. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah. Oh man, it's been a real good time. Like like I said, this is probably gonna be the longest podcast I've ever done. It's two hours um, as right it on. sits, and I've I still have to stack an intro and an outro on this. Let me ask we you this. We haven't even talked about everything yet. We, uh, no, we haven't. But but let me ask you this. Is Do you have any of this content online where people can go listen to it? Do you have Facebook pages, band There camps? is a Cave Band Facebook page, and it might have some live performance. We do a, a probably 11-minute version of The Wall, cool. I think, on there. And it's just, once again, the beginning of that song, like the chip holds down that. It's just a D, droning on a D. And Dean goes everywhere. With the lead, you know, and me and Pearson are just boom, boom, mm-hmm. boom, boom, until it goes, Daddy's falling across the ocean, <laughs> and it just it builds after that, you know, and and that's that's the kind of stuff we do. Like it, it should. I, I don't know if it's actually on Facebook dot com or, or on the caveband dot com or I don't I don't know. I'll I'll have to do some research, and you could put it on the podcast. Yeah. If you send me links to anything, I will put it in the description section. Okay. So, like, if you got band pages, links, I'm not computer smart, so I'll anything. have to go to Pearson on this one because I I had to get him to get the four original tunes that we recorded in Otho. Uh-huh. So I'm like, uh, my daughter actually put in a bio for us to get into the Iowa Rock and Roll Hall of Fame to get us nominated for that. And oh, cool. Yeah, and because uh, you have to be a band for at least 25 years, mm-hmm. and uh, it's it's an it's an it'd be an honor. That'd be oh, it'd just be that would be really cool. Oh, it's it would be awesome. It'd be awesome. That's always been uh, like a dream of mine to get up there, but at the same rate, um, I'm not sure. You never know. Like 
30 years from now, they might want a punk band in there. But like right now, There's it's just... Probably, I mean, they just... Litterer band was big in the 80s, and they were huge. They yeah. drove stuff from the semi-trailers and stuff. Oh, jeez. Yeah, they had a bunch of stuff. Yeah, Lance was talking about them with me yes. a couple, yes, they a couple were great. few weeks back. I mean, they, they did original stuff. They opened for... Uh, Open for some big bands like down at Hilton Coliseum or something. I think. I, God, who did they play with? But it, I mean, it was it was hair band stuff. Yep. You know, because they had the big hair and the sh- fancy outfits and stuff. We saw them at the Star Ballroom in Dakota City, which is now Melinda's School of Dance. Yep. And uh, that's where I played my first gig ever. Oh, really? Yeah, September twenty sixth of nineteen eighty six. Yeah. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah. <laughs> my my first gig was at a school. Really? I was in high school, played with a band in high school. They don't have bands in school no more. It's, no. It's for like, when when I was when I had my prom, my senior prom in 1987, they had a band. Yep. And they played the tunes of the day, you know? Yep. And the very next year, I think, they had a DJ. And it just, you know, if you if you can't be in a band, you're a, you're a DJ. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Or if you can't get along with people in a band. I, there's no... no downing on a dj nope but you know yeah well i'll tell you what there's two different types of djs too there's somebody that has a laptop and speakers and they're just like what do you want to hear next this okay boop it's in yeah. the playlist and then there's djs that are going wicked chicka scratch and stuff that's mind-blowing to me well i mean they they got a show they yep. do they do a show yep. you know that's they've created that you know yeah that's a total different beast i actually bought turntables trying to figure out how to do that and it's two turntables and a microphone. microphone it's way harder than you think it is <laughs> to do it with like actual analog equipment um so that's why anytime i like anytime i ever see that stuff i'm always just like i'm gonna get in on some of this and just watch what these people are doing like uh that wrecks a turntable that i didn't yeah it does <laughs> but there's and i'll tell you what i've seen people do it with uh digital setups and software it's wicked easy it's so easy that it's it's almost dumb unfortunately because yeah. it's just like i want this song to be at this tempo and this song to be at this tempo i know like, that's that i don't like about digital recording because it's just you the click of a mouse and poof you're there and it's there's there's no I mean, the sound is already made for you because it's it's already punched in, you yeah. know. And oh, you want a symbol right here, and tink tink tink, you hit this key, and big boom, you got this, and a cowbell. And no, I want to hear a person with a stick hitting that cowbell, like the the um, Saturday Night Live skit, you know, more mm-hmm. cowbell. Yeah. <laughs> well, we did like a Three Finger Betty album. We and I, there will be a podcast about like our upcoming album that we've recorded, but uh, and a. Long story short, we had recorded it once before, slave to the metronome, um, used every tool we had at our disposal, copy, mm. copy, paste if you want to. Uh, you want this pinch harmonic to be exactly here, we can move it there. It sounds great, but it like like we talked about, it's so manufactured that it was just like, this isn't even real, is it? Well, yeah, because I mean, you, got, it, you could take a piece of music with somebody that can't sing, and you could hit pitch shift, and... Yep. Boom, they're the best singer ever, but you go see them live, you're like, oh. Yeah, this isn't that good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, so why why glaze the donut when you ain't got the donut there? Exactly. You know? I, I just view it as two completely different art forms, being in a studio and being live. Yeah. Like, you can manufacture something in the studio that's absolutely perfect and go play it live, and it's it's not even the same thing. It can't be the same thing. It's just not going to be. Well, like our old song guy, uh, Bob, would say, um, before you record it, play it out live for two, three months. Yep. You know, just to see if that's where you want the song to go. Cause the song could take multiple different directions. Yep. Like I always try he always said, you got to have a hook. So I, I mean, I write the tunes I write, like 
this song remains to be seen. It doesn't have a chorus. It mm-hmm. doesn't have a bridge. It's just like two verses and that's it. You know, like Behind Blue Eyes by The, the Who is a great example. No one knows what it's like to be... A... There's no chorus. There's no... No, because at the end he just says, Behind Blue Eyes. Yeah, that's it. And then it starts over. Yeah. yeah. And, and it just... It's... It's it, it it keeps you. It's whatever draws you in. It's the hook, you know. It yeah. makes you want to. It's what makes you sing it in the shower and, exactly. and stuff like that. You Unless know? you're Def Leppard, where you got like this is the pre pre chorus, the pre chorus, the chorus, the post chorus, and everything's a hook. Well, you listen to the country music radio, and it's like there's your four bars intro, there's your verse, then there's like a little bridge thing, then there's another verse, then it. Maybe a bridge thing, or it goes straight into the chorus, does another chorus, then a four-bar solo, then it all breaks down, yep. acoustic guitar, and then it chorus out. And it's like, yep. come on, man. It all sounds the same. Come on, man. So, like, we 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 recorded it like that, Slave to the Metronome. We ended up going back to a different recording space and recording it, um, <clears throat> I guess the term would be, like, a live... Yeah, uh, in-house recording. So we all set up all of our stuff and played together as oh, opposed to... Yes? As opposed what? To, as you opposed didn't do that to be... No, we single-tracked every single thing. So That's tough. It It is way tough. I didn't uh, realize how tough it was to single-track everything because you're so removed from everybody yeah. else in the band. Because you're not working off the next guy. Bingo. You know? Yep. So when we ended up doing it all live, isolated, you know, the cabs and everything like that, but when we did it all live in one room together with headphones on and stuff, it was like, Oh, this sounds way better. Oh yeah, like way better. Cause yeah, it, it still has that life, that feel to it. It captures what we what we put out there live. Whereas that's where you're going to see us most time, anyways. Yeah. So like it captures that feel instead of just being like this is as manufactured and perfect as we could get it. That yeah, there's because I've done songs both ways like that, and I've even tried the recording process of uh, do just a beat through the whole song. I recorded this disco song, and then after the beat was there. Then the next track I did toms. Mm-hmm. Then the next track hit the cymbals. Oh and wow! It, it's it makes it sound very smooth. Yes, because I mean it's it's everything because you got the beat there to lock it all in. Mm-hmm. I mean the beat locks it all in, and you're doing your tom rolls or whatever. And it's so weird to play the song without hitting a cymbal. Yeah. Oh god, <laughs> I, bet, I bet man. Like and that just like blows my mind that you could even do that in the first place with a drum set because like. Guitar, it's easy to like, I'm going to play this, and then I'm going to layer this in, then I'm going to layer this in. But with a drum set, it's not, I wouldn't imagine it'd be the same beast. I, I used to do that when the hooligans would practice over at my place, and uh, Matt Stubbs, I'm not calling you out Stubbs, but he would get cymbal happy. So he'd show up for practice, and I'd, I'd have all the cymbals gone. Mm-hmm. I'd give him a ride cymbal and a hi-hat, and he's like, come on, man! I'm like... <laughs> You don't have to hit a cymbal every four counts. It just it pisses me off when drummers do that because it's it's not necessary. It washes all the sound. Yeah, out, I mean, especially this, in a live setting. Yes, yeah, so if you're recording, a cymbal just washes over everything, and it takes it takes out two or three counts of what could be there. Yes, you know. Yes, this is going to be the focal point, and all and of a sudden, the, yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> Is there uh, anything else you want to plug while we're still here? Because uh, we've we've eclipsed two hours, and I'm I'm going to leave it all in there for the most part. So, <laughs> so cut and paste, baby. Cut and paste. Cut and paste. We're gonna we're gonna do this podcast to a metronome. Yes. I want to leave it in the background. No, um, Nick. You know, it's great sitting down talking. To you. This is probably the first time you and I've ever talked. Um, maybe even other than across the counter at a at a grocery <laughs> store where I used to work. Are you hippie? <laughs> Everyone used to call me a hippie when I worked back there because I had long hair. But oh man, 
that's you know that's one of those things i've met so many people across the counter at uh, working at a grocery store that I knew played music that I never got to converse with yeah. outs- outside of that. And now that I don't have a public job, I don't get to see everybody all the time. And it's kind of sucks because it's like, well, now I know these guys all play music and I have more in common to talk to them about than well, I now ever Now you're did. a public figure because uh, they put you up on a pedestal up on the stage there. And, uh, yeah, I guess uh, so. I guess is so. Is that the guy with the podcast? We don't know because we've never seen him before. Uh, I get that a lot, believe <laughs> it or not. Uh, the Rock and Picnic. I mean, like, I. I didn't have a moment alone at the rock and picnic for like seven hours. Cause people would just keep tracking me down being like, you're the podcast guy. And it's like, all right, I'll sit and talk to you for you half You got a hour. good voice for radio. I've, I've heard that a lot too. Or a good face for radio. Good sorry, face yeah. for radio. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Oh, that's what I was. I always think about that when people are like you sound really good and really professional. It's like oh, that means I don't look good, probably, <laughs> you know, because all those radio guys. Sorry, uh, Bob Minter and and Mason, who I've interviewed <laughs> on here, that are radio guys. <laughs> Oh man, but you know, thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thanks for making time to uh Hell yeah, man. You know, cuz I, you know, my schedule is ludicrous right now. So thanks for finding that small window we found to fit in here and we packed 2 hours of an interview into it. That's awesome. Yeah, we can play some guitar now. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Absolutely. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. You betcha. Thanks, man. Oh, snap. That's episode number 54. Did you make it all the way through in one shot? Oh, man. I hope you were going somewhere important because this was a long one. We sat down and talked about a lot of stuff. One thing I do have to uh, mention is like after we got done doing the podcast, the two of us sat down and uh, he made me listen to Since I've Been Loving You and listen for that squeak he was talking about. Uh, Led Zeppelin, Still Loving You. It's on Led Zeppelin 3. And uh, now I can't unhear that drum squeak. And uh, yeah, thanks for that, Nick. I really appreciate it. It's kind of crazy though, because it's it's definitely there, and it's not necess- It doesn't really stand out ludicrously either. It's really kind of really kind of cool. So uh, that's that's something really cool. You know, we went we went over a lot of things in this podcast, and when I say oh, we went over a lot of things in this podcast, I mean, I I almost wish I bullet pointed everything so I could talk about it after the podcast, because we covered so much ground as far as bands that Nick has been in, people he's played with, places he's played. Uh, just cool music he's heard uh, uh, all the way down to like us talking about microtonal guitars and and things like that and it was just a really good time sitting down talking with Nick I he was one of those guys that I'd seen around uh, the small town here but I just hadn't really ever talked to him too much and and we got along famously so it was really kind of neat to sit down and talk with him uh, thanks for stopping by and, and chatting with me Nick I hope to have you on again soon sometime uh, I did put a link down below to check out Nick's Cave Band uh, Facebook page. There are some videos on there. I, I would recommend checking those out. They're p- pretty sweet. So uh, there's some videos down there. I don't have any other links for any other things from Nick, but uh, you just got to check it out. Uh, make sure you try and find him on Facebook. Hit up that Cave Band page and check it out. Um, Nick is on Facebook. You can find him on there if you want to hit him up about maybe booking him for a show or something like that. Uh, I'm probably not going to share his personal Facebook page. I do probably have him tagged in a couple of pictures online, though. So if you want to check that out, feel free to check that out. There's uh, tons of stuff going on there. You can find all things Audible Farm at www.audiblefarm.com. It has uh, all the social media as far as where you can listen. And uh, just everything of that nature is going to be on www.audiblefarm.com. 
We do have a Facebook page. The Facebook page is facebook.com slash audiblefarm. That's where most of the updates and things of that nature live. There's also a Facebook group I've been kind of promoting a little bit here and there. Uh, it's just called Audible Farm, Iowa Live Music and Entertainment Promotion. I, I want to say to everybody in Iowa, I don't care if you're juggling. I don't care if you're going to be drawing pictures in a park. Uh, if you got a Facebook page for something that you're going to be doing to entertain anybody, toss it in there. Toss that Facebook event in there. Uh, let me know what's going on. It'll be aggregated with a calendar in there. Uh, I've debated a couple of times whether or not to pull up the calendar and talk about what's going to be coming up next week. And uh, I guess as, as of this week, there aren't any shows added to my calendar. Uh, so that that's that. Um, Unfortunately, there's no no events coming up next weekend on the calendar. So uh, if you got a band, hop in there, toss your events, every single one of them, toss them in there. It'll be aggregated on a calendar for me. Uh, if you go to Facebook.com on a computer, you can actually see it by going to that group. There's an events tab on the left-hand side, and then you just click the calendar link, and boom, there's a nice little calendar of all the things that are going on. Um, I mean, there's plenty more going on than this, but... Uh, as of right now, that's what I'm trying to aggregate a nice set of lists. Maybe I'll even make a nice little Friday show where I just announce some shows that are going on around the area. Speaking of shows that were going on around the area, last weekend I went and saw Warbringer and Enforcer. I have been an Enforcer fan for a few years. Um, Kelsey Magnolia, I did a podcast with her a handful back. Uh, she kind of showed them to me and was just like you got to check these guys out i think you'd like them and and sure enough they're they're one of my favorite metal bands that's going around today and uh that show was amazing it was so good dark mirror opened up for the show and uh dark mirror did not disappoint they they definitely brought a lot of people with them uh tons of people were happy to see them uh there was dark mirror chance afterwards It, it was really kind of a crazy thing it was like a flashback to like 2009 or something it was it was really wild so it was good to see them i got to see air of sorrow play i hadn't seen them in a long time and this was my first time seeing frontal assault and uh frontal assault you guys killed it i don't know if you guys are listening to the podcast but uh if anybody knows anybody in frontal assault you know give them a poke for me because that was that was a hell of a good outing for those guys too the whole show was stacked the whole thing was amazing I ended up actually videotaping Dark Mirror's set. I put it on the Audible Farm YouTube page, which you can go to youtube.com and just search for Audible Farm and find it there. Make sure you subscribe. Otherwise, if you don't want to do that, uh, www.audiblefarm.com. i got to say thanks to the Iowa Podcast Network for setting up that website for me. It's, uh, it's not a very involved website, but it has all of the things I need on there. At Like right now, it, it's right there. So I really appreciate everything Iowa Podcast Network is doing for me on, on that aspect. You can also go to the website and find a form to fill out to ask me if I want to interview you. The answer will probably be yes, but there will also be a hook, and that hook is that I'm a very busy person. So let's try to make our schedules line up, and uh, let's do a little sit down and a little talk. I'll see what you got going on music-wise, and we can kind of pump up whatever you got going on. Uh, all artists, uh, professional wrestlers, anybody, whatever you got going on, let me know. Um, I, I just kind of want to talk to people. So that's, that's what's going on in my world this week. Uh, any shows coming up this week, let me know. Any shows coming up next week, make sure you drop them in that Facebook post. And I also want to say a huge thanks to Couchtown Coffee for sponsoring this episode. Make sure you use the code word CAVE. That's good. Excuse me. That's good for, mm, let's see here. Today is the 24th. Oops, I probably shouldn't have said that. I let the cat out of the bag as to when I pre-recorded this. 
This is going to come out on the 26th, so anytime between September 26th and October 2nd, if you enter that code word CAVE, you save 20% and you get a free, 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 free Audible Farm sticker. So uh, check that out. That's going to be really cool. Free stuff's always good, and you're saving 20%. That's all. You're going to drink the coffee anyways, so just buy the best coffee you can. Buy some Couch Town. Make sure you save yourself 20% because you're listening to the Audible Farm podcast. And uh, that's it for the week. I hope you guys all enjoyed it. Two hours and 20 minutes in almost. Woo! You guys are troopers. Thank you so much for joining me, everybody. I'll see you next week. Peace.